What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUV. It's good to stay up to date. I mean, we've seen this in basketball. We've seen it in football. We've seen it in baseball. Once the stats started taking off in the 2000s, everybody had to figure that out. Then I remember in basketball, first it was three-pointers. Then it was defensive stats. You just got to keep moving. You got to keep evolving. You got to keep going. Now it's pace and threes. What's it going to be next, big guys? That's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system with Google Maps Assistant and more. You can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada SUVs at NissanUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra. My go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game. Right now, than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at McLobeUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. The Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook as well as the Ringer Podcast Network. Hope you're checking out the Ringer Reality Feed. On Wednesday nights, we have a doubleheader for you. Johnny Bananas breaking down the latest challenge episode. Tyson from Survivor breaking down the latest Survivor episode. We put them both up at the same time on Wednesday nights right after those shows end. Check that out if you haven't checked it out yet. We also have a bunch of other stuff on there. There's some Bachelor in Paradise stuff. There's We're going to be doing some Bravo shows. They're the great British, whatever the hell that show is. Yeah, it's happening. You know what else is happening? The Prestige TV podcast where I've popped on at least once a week since we relaunched a couple weeks ago. On Sunday night, David Shoemaker and I are going to be breaking down the season finale of Heels, one of our favorite shows. It's on Stars. It's a wrestling show. And when that show ends, we'll have a reaction. On Friday night, actually, tomorrow night, Ted Lasso, the final episode, is going up on Apple, and we're going to have Van and Chris. They got screeners, so we're putting up a reaction to that as well. Check out that feed. We have a lot of succession stuff going up next week, including me and Joe House are going to do a 20 Greatest Succession Characters podcast that's going to be on that feed. On this podcast, we're going to rerun a, a thing Joanna Robinson and I did earlier this week, the Succession Hall of Fame. I think the best Succession episode ever is Safe Room. Joanna disagreed, so I tried to make the case to her. We argued about it, and it's really fun. And that's going to run on the in the tail end of this podcast after our guy Peter Schrager comes on and we talk about Bill's Chiefs. We do million dollar picks. I I I did so much homework this week for million dollar picks. I can't wait for that part of the podcast. He has some Stefan Gilmore information. It's it's good, good stuff. I left. 
I carved out for the top of this podcast. There was so much going on tonight. We had a U.S. soccer game, big one for the men's team. We had Red Sox Rays game one, and we had Rams Seahawks. So the USA took care of business. Our new 19-year-old striker, he's just a machine. Love that guy. Red Sox did not take care of business. Does it matter? Yeah, it matters. But at the same time, we beat the Yankees. We lasted longer than them. Everything else is gravy. This was not a World Series team. The Rays are unbelievable. I really, I hate their guts. I really do. It's one of those teams, you, your guys hit these line drives all over the place. And every time the line drive goes right to somebody who's standing in the perfect spot. Every time there's a guy on base, they get a hit to knock the guy home. It's so freaking frustrating. I hate that team. Anyway, Red Sox down, one nothing. Best of five, not looking great. Dodgers, Giants were getting starting this weekend. Unbelievable. One of the things I never realized when I moved to LA, um, two, two sports things I really didn't realize. One is that the UCLA-USC rivalry is real. They hate each other. The UCLA fans have real contempt. And it's like, uh, it, it's almost, the, I don't know if you've seen Outer Banks, but it's almost like the Outer Banks with like the rich kids against, uh, I forget what they're called, the, the Pogues. That's the group we like. I watched 20 episodes of that show in like, I don't know, two days. So I can't, can barely remember anything from it. But USA is kind of like the Pogues. Now they need a coach. UCLA looks down on them. Um, but that rivalry is great. And then the other one that's great that I had no idea was Dodgers Giants. Talk about two fan bases that hate each other. Wow. Uh, they've never played an actual playoff series against each other. And I have Dodger fans in my life who were really upset that they had to go to this one game playoff. They won 106 games. It's like, what is the point of the system? I liked it. I really did. I liked it. You know, what's the point of having these five team divisions if there's not real stakes? They're in a bloodbath the last two months of the season, um, trying to get the upper hand to avoid the one game playoff. Giants end up getting it, but I like it. The one thing I think they should do, though, is I think they should recede by record once we have the four playoff teams. I actually think it's stupid that the Dodgers win 106 games and then have to play the team that won 107 games. I love the division thing, though. This is what I grew up with. Take care of business. Win your division. Avoid any sort of bad scenario. Anyway, Dodgers-Giants, I think, is going to be fantastic. Dodgers are, you know, Muncie got hurt. They lost Bauer, um, not just for the season, but we'll probably never see that guy again. Um, so there, there's a little bit of, you know, sometimes you need luck with this stuff. Bellinger has been a mess all season, but I'm really excited for that series as well. Uh, Rams-Seahawks, let's talk about that quick before we uh, go to Pearl Jam. So the Seahawks now are two and three. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen tonight. I didn't bet it. It was a rare stay away for me. Um, I just had no feel for it. The the Sal, who's been red hot on the Fox games on Thursday nights, I think he picked the Rams and it looked stupid coming out of the gate. The Rams looked like, you know, there's a lot of, oh my God, with Matthew Stafford, <laughs> caught Jared Goff disease, all that stuff. Then Wilson gets hurt. And Wilson does something to his finger. They show it between 17 and 200 times. They show still pictures of it. It's got like some sort of hump that you just don't want on your throwing hand. If you're Russell Wilson, comes back in. It's like, oh man, this guy's tough. Then he comes out. Geno Smith comes in. 
I got to be honest, I did not know Geno Smith was still in the league. I feel like I follow football at the 90th, 99th percentile of people who follow football. I had no idea Geno Smith was in the league. I really did it. I was excited to see him. I was like, Gino, won so much money against you way back when. It's great to see you again. That made me wish I had bet on the Rams because it could have been this nostalgic betting against Geno Smith one more time. Of course, Geno gets hot. And within a couple of minutes, he's zinging passes around. People are joking about uh, QB controversies and the whole thing. But then Lockett falls down on the key drive and, and Geno ends up throwing a pick. And that's it. But big, big picture. Big picture. Just wanted to mention quickly, the Seahawks are now two and three. The Niners are two and two. The Rams are four and one. The Cardinals are four and oh. And we knew this division was going to be a bloodbath. We knew it was unlikely that we'd get four playoff teams. And if you remember, Sal and I, we had that whole thing with FanDuel where we thought there could be six teams out of the two West divisions that made the playoffs. Still possible. If the season ended today, we could get the six. FanDuel gave that 15 to one odds, which was in retrospect pretty high. But anyway, the margin of error for one, for all of these teams, when you have, when you're in a division that loaded where you clearly need at least 10 wins, now you're the Seahawks are two and three. I think you need 10 minimum in the West. So they need to go eight and four the rest of the way. We have no idea if Russell Wilson is coming back in general. The vibe with the Seahawks team has been, you know, a little strange. I think we can all agree, especially, um, you know, beat the Colts, lose a really dumb game to the Titans, get spanked by the Vikings. And then last week, they catch a break in the Niners game because Garoppolo goes down, Trey Lance comes in. He's not remotely ready to play in that game. But they're two and three. Now, at the Steelers next week, who knows who's the QB of that team? Who knows what's going to happen with them? Schrager and I are going to talk about that in a second. But they're at Steelers, home Saints, home Jags, at Packers. So if Wilson's out for like a month, this is actually a pretty good part of the schedule for them. Then after that, you're talking home Cardinals, at Washington, home Niners, at Texans, easy one. And then they finish at Rams, home Bears, home Lions, at Cardinals. Could that be eight and four? Maybe is if Geno Smith is playing three or four of those games, who knows? And we, the broken finger thing with quarterbacks, you just in basketball, you just tape them together. You keep going with quarterbacks. I don't know how you do it. I'm sure Wilson's a tough dude. He's going to figure this out, but I don't like the juju around this, this Seahawks team though. When your quarterback cracks his finger in a huge Thursday night game against the Rams, when you kind of have the Rams on the rope, makes me a little nervous. Then I was thinking, all right, let's say they miss the playoffs. This, could there be two quarterbacks in trade play next winter? There's was little Wilson whispers last year, but um, you know he, he basically was like, I don't want to be traded, but here's my list of teams that if you want to trade me, I'd like any of these teams. And uh, who knows? Who knows how this plays out? I'm excited to find out. But uh, I think we're going to talk about the Cardinals. They're playing the Niners this week. And the Cardinals now are weirdly in the driver's seat, this division, because the Rams defense is not as good as I think we thought it was going to be. Aikman talked about that tonight. I pay, I spent $3 on them, I think, in both of my fantasy leagues. I thought they were going to be this dominant defense. It just, they're not. They're just not. The Niners, I don't know how this Lance Garoppolo, who knows how this shakes out. They also have a, they, 
seem to have a black cloud over them too. They always have getting guys injured left and right. So maybe it's the Cardinals here. Now, we're about to get to million dollar picks for Schrager. We went against the Cardinals, spoiler alert, in uh, underdog parlay of the week. So there you go. Fascinating division. The NFC West. Who could have guessed? Who could have guessed that would be the marquee, not only the best division, but also like the week to week roller coaster ride division at the same time. Coming up after Pearl Jam, Peter Schrager. I'm excited. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, Peter Schrager joins us every Thursday. We talk football. We do million-dollar picks. We had been on fire. We'd won for eight straight weeks, dating back to uh, week 17 of last year. Finally had a losing week last week. The Patriots, conditional pick on the Patriots, saved us from even more damage. Lost $164,000. We are now up $575,000 for the season. Still not bad, Schrager. Not bad. Uh, I watched that Rams game on a plane, and I literally... I'm throwing things on a flight, like throwing my stuff, my phone. I was furious because I knew that I was the reason I convinced you Rams over Cardinals. And here we are. No, I was with you. Blown out. Yeah, we should have stayed away. We were, we, this, this Cardinals team has been such a treat for us. Why are we betting against them? Totally agree. And we might bet against them again this week. You know, we, they cut the clip when we actually do million dollar picks mm-hmm. for social and I'm rattling off the final selections and you're not, you're you're chiming in, but not as much. And then it seems like we haven't hashed all these out. Like we're figuring these out together. I'm adding a veto for you this week because you tried to talk me out of Jacoby Brissett in Miami yeah. last week. You yeah. you've your your body language completely changed when I brought it up. You had a look on your face, a little like Kendall Roy when he woke up in bed in season two succession and he had realized he's shit in his own bed. Mm-hmm. You had that look on your face, like, oh my God, how do I clean Been this there, up? Been there, done that, Kendall. And I, and I was just <laughs> rambling on about, I believe in Brissette, and you were just like looking for somewhere to put the sheets. So I'm going forward. If you really feel Kendall Roy shit in the bed level, disgusted with a pick, you just got to chime in. I'll give you a veto. Yeah, I appreciate so that. Go. I appreciate that. I'll do that. There's something, you have a... Jacoby Brissett, Gardner Minshew thing that is hard to pull. Those are your guys. You're in that corner. I got to pull you away of it sometimes. I'm out on Jacoby. He's not even ad- averaging uh, five yards, five <laughs> yards of pass this season. Before we do picks, let's talk Chiefs Bills. This is the game okay. of the week. Chiefs favored by three. The Bills are plus 128 to win outright. Bills plus the over is plus 296. The over is 56 and a half. Chiefs minus three in the over is plus 291. You have two awesome offenses. You have a Bills team that, from a gambling standpoint, if you look at it, it's actually a nice time to zag against them. They killed Miami. Mm -hmm. Tua got hurt. They killed Washington. They killed Houston, who might be the worst team in the league. And now everybody's like, oh my God, here they are. Casey beat them last year. Casey's offense, he's looking at it like, they're still lights out. They're first in DVOA. Mahomes is 8.6 yards per per attempt. Um, the Chiefs are 5.1 per rush. Mm-hmm. They have 17 touchdowns. They have 107 first downs, which leads the league. On third down, 64% they've converted. Mm. And 
there's a world in where two plays are different and they're 4-0 and we're like, oh my God, the Chiefs, can they go 17-0? Should this line be higher? Should this be Chiefs minus three and a half? Is this respectful enough to the Chiefs, this line? I think there's a lot of momentum towards the Bills. You throw out week one and for whatever reason, people are like not even acknowledging it. And the thought is they have two shutouts in the last three weeks. It is so hard to shut a team out. And I don't care if Davis Mills is that quarterback. I don't care if it's Tua, Jacoby Brissett, or Jay Fiedler. To shut a team out in their building is something. And last week, I know Davis Mills is, is slinging the ball and, the, and the, 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 the Texans have next to nothing offensively as far as skill positions go. The respect for the Bills' defense is at an all-time high, and they've added players, Rousseau, Basham, Epineza's playing at a different level, and that is where the respect is coming, that, hey, the Chiefs might put up a lot of points, but this is not the type of defense that they have seen yet, and that includes Cleveland in week one. The thought process, I imagine, is that not only do the Bills have the offense that they can score the points, but they have the defense that can actually get the Chiefs off the field, which no one has been able to do this season. Can I tell you the quarterbacks the Bills have played this year? Let's hear. The corpse of Ben Roethlisberger, yeah. week one. Tua slash Brissett, week two. Heineke. Frisky Heineke, week three. The best of the bunch. And then Davis Mills, week four. And now they go to Mahomes. Do you think there's anything to, you know, like you play a video game and you jump from like rookie level to Madden level and Madden. And it's like, it's jarring for jarring. 10 minutes. Zero to 60. Um, yeah. It's, you do anything where it's, yeah, you're going zero to 60 just immediately. It's jarring. And the Bills have just been going against these really limited quarterbacks. And now they're going against the best quarterback in the league. Yeah, and I think it, that has to matter. Does and it's in Kansas City, and you know, we can go through the history here. Josh Allen doesn't beat Mahomes, right? Like, this is last year, they came into Buffalo on a weird game where COVID changed it to a weeknight, and Clyde Edwards Alaire ran for 161 yards on Buffalo and beat him. Then they go to the AFC Championship game, and everyone's hyped in on Buffalo, it's Buffalo's team, whatever. Kansas City blew them out, and they had their way with them. This week, this is where I'm at with this. This is a Super Bowl for the Bills, they have had this circled. All offseason. This is everything. And this reminds me of last week with the Cardinals and the Rams, where the Rams might have circled, okay, we got the Brady and the Buccaneers coming to our building week three, and we've got uh, a Thursday night game against our hated Seahawks. And in between, we've got a game with the Cardinals, right? And the Cardinals looked at that game. That's our Super Bowl. We're 0-8 the last eight times we've played this team. We have to beat them. This, this is for our own building. We need to get over the hump. This is how Buffalo could be looking at this game with Kansas City. And I know Kansas City is going to bring it and they're going to score. I just don't know if Buffalo puts all their eggs in their basket and is like, we're not leaving that building with a loss. And that all the focus since March or since May when the, when the schedule came out is on this ball game. Our, our mutual friend, Connor, ha is a Chiefs fan. And he called me this week with a theory that I thought was actually really interesting. I want to run it by you. That when these teams play the Chiefs, Unlike other teams where it's fourth and short, they're punting, you know, third and eight, they're, they're thinking, okay, we've got to get the first down here, but it's two down. Against the Chiefs, these teams are going for it on fourth down. We saw the Chargers go for it on fourth and four, get a false start and say, okay, go for it on fourth nine. What the hell? We're not punting. The Eagles last week, it was like they played every last page of their playbook. I start to think that, and there's something to this, that teams are playing the Chiefs differently than they play 31 other teams. And his theory, which I think there is something too, so much of the offensive game plan is built around, okay, this is how we need to score points, that our best stuff is coming out against the Chiefs, and that we don't mind putting it on film for the next 15, like we have to do this to beat the Chiefs. 
that Kansas City, they're giving up all these points, they're giving up all these yards. They're seeing things that other teams might not necessarily have to deal with week to week. And that includes four downs when teams are getting into fourth and short and fourth and four because they don't want to punt to Mahomes. They don't want to give up any of that ball possession game. It's a really smart theory that also sounds like it came from a Chiefs fan trying yeah, to rationalize how bad the defense is. It's been bad. It's been, been really bad. bad. I know. On the other hand, you know, Philly Hurts was able to move around and make plays on them for whatever reason. I I don't know what that means for Philly going forward. And we'll we'll find out more this week with the game they're playing this week, whether Hurts is starting to figure it out or the Chiefs defense is really that bad. I I see the whole this is the Super Bowl for the Bills thing. But the Chiefs would be two and three if they lost this game. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference with where the Chiefs were last week against Philly. We rode them last week. Yeah, we did. Where they are this week, where it's like, they, there's no, I know they seem bored. They've certainly had the first three weeks. They just have this arrogance to them, which I kind of enjoy. Last <laughs> week, they were like, all right, fuck this. Tyreek, we're just yep. unleashing you like a yep. cannon. Um, but I don't think they want to go two and three. I think they probably see the Bills as the biggest competition they have seen. They, they should. And so why isn't this also the Super Bowl for them? It could be. And they're home. And it's the the next week of a, of a season where they've already had to face Cleveland. They've already had to face Baltimore. They've already faced a lot of the heavies in the AFC. And this is a huge one for them. Obviously, it's on Sunday night. It's it's the, the hottest team with the Bills and the whole deal. What I liked about the Chiefs' offensive game plan last week, they brought out that Tom and Jerry play, which was that shovel pass to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire where Travis Kelsey is is doing one thing and everyone's watching Kelsey and then they had that crazy pass. And then in the second half, Kelsey did this move where he shrugs to Mahomes like, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? It looks like they're going to call timeout. Mahomes says, hike. they give it to Fortson. It's a touchdown on another shovel pass. Like the Chiefs are not backing away from the way that they play traditionally. And they've had turnovers being a little careless with the ball the first few weeks, but they kind of doubled down. They're like, no, no, this is our style. This is how we're going to win. And yes, Tyreek Hill will get targeted 12 times if we need to get him going and we'll make sure he gets it. I like Kansas City in this. I just don't know if I like them enough to bet them more than a field goal in this type of game where Buffalo has all their eggs in this basket and knows they can't escape Kansas City being big time losers in this one. I guess the big thing to remember with this game is the Chiefs offense has been awesome this season. Unbelievable. A couple turnovers. Because so there's a disappointing piece to them, I think, with some people. They're only two and two. What's going on? But then you look at the actual stats, you pour through them, and it's a couple dumb turnovers at the wrong time. Other than that, they've been pretty dominant. Here's another thing with them. Let's say they win this game. At Washington, at Titans, next two. Home Giants, Monday night. Home Packers, at Raiders. Home Cowboys, week 11. Bye week. I could see that week 11 Cowboys game. It's like, remember when we were worried about the Chiefs one and two? Now they've won eight straight. Heading into the showdown with the Cowboys. I like the Chiefs. I wanted to talk myself into the Bills. I really tried. I went down the process. I even sent you Bills plus three over Chiefs when we were texting. I wanted to kind of gauge your reaction to it. But this feels like... The one thing I learned from last week, gravitate to where you think the line should be. Okay. Sunday night, home, Chiefs. This, it should be three and a half win. or four. Three and a half or four. I understand why the line's three because they're going to be able to get Buffalo action. But this is a disrespectful line to the Chiefs. Not that they care. Not that they're looking at the lines. But this is, you're getting at least a free half point. If this was Bill's three and a half, I get it. I could talk, well, they get a cheap touchdown at the end, blah, blah, blah. But if the Chiefs just have to win by a field goal, 
I feel pretty good about this. Plus, home field advantage. It's it's at it's least real. something in some of these games. I thought it really affected the Bucks game. Patriots aren't as good as the Bucks. Home no, field it, seemed like it mattered. Here's the one counter that I would give. At the end of the day, I always feel like quarterbacks matter, and Josh Allen has gotten over that hump. I feel like he is in the same class as Mahomes. He is that good. He has that much pride, and he has a pretty good receiving core, and especially with Dawson Knox doing what he's doing at tight end right now, that, that this offense can keep up with Kansas City, and Brian Dable can scheme it up. So a lot of times, it's just like, Philadelphia is not going to score enough points to keep up with Kansas City. I didn't think Cleveland was going to be able to score enough points. I didn't think the Chargers were going to be able to score enough points. I didn't think they would. They did. Right. Um, I think Buffalo can score enough points. That's why it scares me. If anything, I like just points in this game. As good as Buffalo's D has been, I feel like this might be one of those high-scoring affairs that were like, oh, that was fun. You know? Oh, okay. 35 to 33. That was cool. You know? That's how I feel this could go. Well, we try to avoid over-unders with million-dollar picks because I just have bad luck with them. And sometimes I think people just gravitate to these number. I don't see any, this, it's 56 and a half now. I feel like this could get to like 60 by game time. Isn't it what, fun? How is this not a 30 to 27 game minimum? Buffalo defense. People think that Buffalo's got the steel curtain. And to your point, they haven't played the stiffest. I, I don't even know if they've got the best defense in the league. Everything statistically says they do. But to your no, point, come on. who they face? It's too early and they haven't faced anybody. So Chiefs minus three with the over of 56 and a half is plus 291. I think we should at least file that Let's one away. Um, one other game that I want to talk about, um, just because it's our first London game. Okay. And <laughs> do, you, um, do you get up for these? I'm an East Coast guy. I'm up. Are you up like when you hear Falcons Jets, you'll get up at six in the morning? No. So I have like a four-year streak of forgetting there was a London game, <laughs> checking either emails or texts, and somebody's complaining about something. Like, oh, yeah. And it's third quarter. And the game's already over. Because yeah. these games always suck. This year we have Jets Falcons, which is, I don't know, two of the five worst teams. Yeah. yeah. Two two of the five teams you wouldn't want to see in this game. The Falcons are a mess. They probably have the worst offensive line in the league. We found out before we started taping, Ridley and Gage are not making the trip. No. So <laughs> two of their two, I, those are their two starting receivers, right? Are they two of oh, the yes. best three? They're yes. two starters, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if Gage. Yeah, so who starts? He's been hurt, but yes, when he's healthy, yes, he's the starter. So missing both of those. You have the Matt Ryan in a London game factor with people. Like, I don't feel like people have watched a lot of Falcons this year and they don't really realize that he's kind of been Roethlisberger light from a corpse yeah, standpoint. We talked about it last week and I yeah. love it. The Matt Ryan in London factor. Like, that's a thing. Like, all right, sure. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. And they have this Jets team that I think their defense is good. Frisky. I, I really do. I, I thought they did a good job against the Pats. They were dominant last week against Tennessee. Dominant. Now, Tennessee had no receivers, but they were borderline dominant. Zach's okay. He can make Quinn a couple Williams, plays. Flying all over the field. Yeah, no, they, they looked good on D and they were fired up. Now, I talked to Salah this week and this is interesting. I don't know if this stuff matters. Now, look, Arthur Smith has coached in London when he was with the Titans in a game. That's fine. When Salah was with the Jaguars, they traveled to London three different times. And one time they traveled on a Monday. One time they traveled on a Tuesday. One time they traveled on a Thursday. They had success on the Thursday. There's all different theories about this, about when you go to London. Do you get there early? Do you adjust? Do you get settled? Or do you just get there, practice one time, play the game and get the hell out of there and just let your body just go? Salah is flying them in on a Thursday. So Thursday night, they're flying in. 
He's like, this is the tried and true, what I think is the best deal. They'll do media, they'll do practice, they'll sleep one night and then they'll play on Sunday. And it's funny, I, I, I put it out there and Brady Quinn, who has played in these games, got back to me and he's like, oh, we did that once. We were all fucked up. Our bodies were all fucked up. We got blown out. Like it's, it, it, we did not adjust. You need to like go into this week and be able to adjust to an eight hour time difference and what that means for your body, mentally, physically, everything. And then the kickoff time when it is, Salah thinks he's got this down, or at least he's doing the best job he can based on experience that the other team might not have. So I kind of like that decision. And of course, the Falcons are doing the same exact thing. So it might be fine. But like, I feel like this guy has been through enough London trips where he might have the edge coaching and preparation. And the way I know he looks at like body clocks and all that type of stuff, I feel like at the very least, the Jets might have an edge on preparing for a London game based on his experience. That is really good info. <laughs> I've thought a lot. I've went to London for the Olympics. <laughs> And I was discombobulated the entire time I was there. I don't think I fell asleep before three o'clock ever at any point. I think West Coast time, it's even worse. Yeah. Um, it is a thing. You feel like you're in a different planet. And I don't understand how the football teams could fly back and forth. On Salah. A little too excited after that win last week. Like maybe G dialed Gatorade. it up 25%. Yeah. Gatorade bath. <laughs> Does that worry us at all? Yeah. I mean, this is... Look, this is a long time coming. Obviously, it was his first game coaching. It was uh, for a win. It was Zach Wilson's first win. And they've been so bad for three weeks. And here locally, they've already been written off and dismissed in New York so bad that I felt like it meant a lot. Now, what was crazy about the Gatorade bath, and it's the most Jets Gatorade bath ever, they give the Gatorade bath, but Mondre G, who is the strength and conditioning trainer for the Titans, is embracing Sala when they give him the Gatorade bath. So like, they just gave a Gatorade bath to an opposing trainer he's getting doused in gatorade it's like come on guys can you let him at least get out of here before oh um but yeah and then they had a game ball deal and it was like you thought they won the super bowl and then woody johnson came in and gave the ball to solid it was very very celebratory but i think they're so young that's okay this is like the youngest team in the league by a long shot he, they know how young they are they're playing with house money this year that was a cool win especially in front of their home crowd i was on the fence trying to talk you into let's take jets plus three and then the wide receivers got scratched like about an hour. We're taping this. It's a little afternoon Pacific time. And I felt like that was a sign from God. They're fun. There's, I, think like, we, I think we have to throw them in. Plus, they came up big for us last week. Unfortunately for us, Steelers uh, did not with the underdog parlay. Um, hey, Monday night, Colts Ravens. Let's talk about FanDuel. FanDuel giving new customers 30 to 1 odds on either team to win. <laughs> so you can end the NFL week right by winning $150 on a $5 bet. This is just to win. You'd think you would take the Ravens in this, correct? I would Shrinks. think. In, in Baltimore, primetime, under the lights, the bank? Yeah, I like the Ravens. And yet, and yet, we have the Colts coming up later, an underdog parlay of the week. There's some, some, some Colts momentum now. I, I'm out on it. I don't agree with it, but talking about, hey, they have the most talent in that division. 0-3 start. They're crawling back. They could be 2-3 and three after this game. Then you have the Ravens. You know, they've just had a really weird season in general. They haven't, if you really go game by game and look through some of the wins, that like they barely beat Detroit. Denver last week, they get the Teddy Bridgewater gift with the concussion. Um, not that the concussion's gift, but you know what I mean? Drew Locke's coming in. It's like, wow, we've won this game. Here's Drew Locke. The Denver what, cannot play from behind. What do you make of the way, Har I mean, obviously you had Wickersham on last week who told you like Harbaugh was so upset with, with the way Belichick did the formation back then. 
the Ravens really value their preseason winning streak. They haven't lost a preseason yep. game in like since like 2015. They really value this hundred yard streak that they got. So if, I love it. I, I'm okay, a full so supporter. Love yeah, I love it. So to for the listeners, I only who might draw not know, the line with I draw the line when AC Green had the consecutive game yeah. NBA streak, couldn't play, and they put him in for like three seconds. Keep that. That's like that's when it becomes disingenuous. Kyle Brandt um, on Good Morning Football had an analogy. He didn't like it, and I and I, I go both ways. So basically, they're up 16, three seconds left. They run a play for five yards, so they get 100 yards, a streak that no one knew existed, but now they're tied for the lead. Kyle said it was like Ricky Davis getting the triple-double and like throwing it at your rim. Like It shouldn't right. count. But I'm like, well, then the Strahan sack record count because that was a little questionable too, and then you can a go into a lot of different histories. Yeah, yeah. so I, but for Harbaugh to stress that, I'll say this, knowing those Baltimore guys, in that locker room, that streak is really cool for them, that 100-yard streak, because it's like everyone talks about passing offense and all this. Like, we beat you up in the trenches. We take a lot of it. And if they get one more, they're the greatest running team in the history of the league because they've done 43 in a row. So Fangio, who worked for Harbaugh and worked for his brother too, and they know each other, like, was very, very upset and like called him out. And I liked John Harbaugh's response, said, hey, I don't remember a 16-point touchdown. Why were you throwing the ball if you're so concerned with player safety on the drive previous? You should have been taking these. Um, that's the Ravens, though. It's like them against the world. They play a different offense than everyone else in the league. And I don't see them losing on Monday night at home to Carson Wentz under the lights in a Monday night game. I don't. Well, especially if you can only put $5 on it with $150. FanDuel, number one rated sportsbook in America. <laughs> Sign up with promo code BS this week. Before that game, you could win $150 in $5 bet. Use promo code BS so they know I sent you exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Restrictions apply. We have no restrictions here no. on teases and parlays. We can go nuts. And you know what FanDuel does? What do they do? Most people, most bookies, most books, it's six-point tees, seven-point tees, or 10-point tees. Fandle's like, hey man, it's 2021. Let's get let's get crazy. Let's get you silly. can do a seven and a half point tease if you want. Okay. And one of the things you can do is a three team seven and a half point tease that is plus one oh five, but all three teams have to cover. Got it. And I bring this up because we have some obvious teasers, but one of them is at the 10 point mark, Tampa Bay. Yeah. And that's one where it's like, if you tease them in a seven point tease or a six point tease, late, late touchdown, whatever, they win by three and you lose your tease. With the seven and a half point tease, you could bring them the two and a half. Now they just have to win by three, you win. So we'll start there first. You wanted this game in here. Yeah. I want this badly. I feel like this is Brady scorched earth against the Dolphins this weekend. And that so much attention was spent on last week and the emotions were high and all this stuff. This could not be the a better matchup for Brady. He goes up against a Miami team that does not have a quarterback who can throw the ball and an offense that can score with them. And that Miami defense is very similar to the Patriots defense and what they do and how Flores operates it, but it has lesser players and it's going to be an ideal weather down there. It's not missing be their best cornerback, missing their best. Like, they're down. The dolphins are down right now. Now, look, I know Tampa is, is down to Richard Sherman and whoever else is a bag of bones that could play corner at this point. And you say, okay, well, that's dangerous. No, Miami can't throw all over them. That's not Miami's offense. They don't, they're not going to be able to throw like that. So I like Tampa big in this one. I feel like this is one of those deals where Brady hasn't, he looked great week one against the Cowboys. He hasn't looked awesome. I feel like this is 
the awesome game. This is the game that he had against Detroit last year and uh, coming off the bye on that Saturday afternoon where he's like, I'm just going to let it rip. I, I I feel like the Bucks big here and it's almost a response to last week where they gave everything they had and there's so much focus and it's like, okay, we got through that hurdle. We escaped with a win. Now let's go kick some ass. I feel like the Bucks are big against the Dolphins this week. Dolphins play the Pats in week one, 17 points. They get shut up by the Bills. They play the Raiders in week three in a game that was really hairy from a million dollar pick standpoint because yeah. we had the Raiders. The Dolphins kept crawling back, but a lot of it was like this frenetic garbage time, second half, like yeah. trying to, they're, oh, they were down the whole game, stuff like that. Colts, they look horrendous. The stats are like kind of mind-blowing for them. The, the uh, I mean, mentioned earlier how Brissett's only throwing uh, 4.9 yards per attempt. To put that in perspective, even Roethlisberger is doing better than that. Eek. They're only rushing... 3.6 yards attempt. They're 28th in DVOA. Somehow there's four worse teams than them. Um, and they're banged up on defense. And I feel bad for Flores. And it's like, this is the classic, they the frisky young team from a year ago that all of a sudden a lot of expectations. Everybody 10 wins. Got excited about them. They're over under in Vegas was nine and a half wins. Yeah. And now it seems like, yikes. And now there's some Deshaun Watson stuff. Two is not back till next week. Might not even be the right guy anyway. We're marking Tampa down. And I like your case. Brady had no touchdowns last week. Mm. Uh, Rams game the week before. Now, they're, they're due for like the, let's blow this out. Offense, let's, we'll roll it up. Let's get everybody. We'll try to get Mike Evans 100 yards. Um, so we're putting them in a tease. I, I also note this because I spoke with um, a few people in Tampa who I've known for years. It's not like a, you know Brady's, but like Tampa was this moribund team forever. So I have relationships because I was doing the seventh game on Fox, the sidelines, and I'd be sent to yep. Tampa every year. So you eventually get these relationships. And I was like, you know, what was the feeling afterwards? I'm like, gosh, you guys are so, and it's like, do you realize Richard Sherman got there last week and had not had a practice, a training camp and was the number one corner. And like, he told them when he got there, Sherman, like, I'm going to need a couple weeks. Like I'm not, and Todd Bowles was like, can you go? We need you. And he's like, yeah. And he was their number one corner last week and was out there. And yes, they targeted him. I said, but for where he was coming from, having not been in a football uniform since last year in any form and not having a week of practice to be out there last week, like it was pretty gutsy stuff that he had being out there on the field. And Brady just to escape that with a win, they knew going in. Tampa didn't think they were winning 47 to nothing last week. Like they knew, especially with the weather, like the, the emotions were all over, all over the place. And we, uh, you know, you, you talk to all these different expatriates and expatriate staffers, and there's a million ex-coaches who are on to and they all say the same thing in the week leading up. They're going to be so laser focused that this stuff isn't, this is for the media. The media cares about this stuff. Bill and Tom, when it gets to football and the, the, the Brady was so emotional in that game. He was so up and down early and sailing yeah. the ball around. to escape with a win. That's a gasp of relief. I think him and Belichick are going to be fine moving forward. They might even have a friendship after this thing, like just to get over that hump and have that conversation, whatever they had 20 minutes afterwards. And now I feel like that's been looming for the Bucks all season. It was his back-to-back weeks. Rams are tough as shit on the road in LA. And then to have to respond and play the Patriots with all that media, we're over that hurdle. We're one and one in those games. We get out of there with a win. I feel like the Bucks are going to be just fine. Their D-backs were in such bad shape. Did you see the Sherman numbers? He was nine targets, nine I catches. I know. Now, granted, maybe that could have been 15 and like maybe there was a couple that they didn't throw to him because he was doing a good job, but not great. And then they were losing D-backs as the game went along. And, you know, in the back of your head, you're going, oh, next week they're going to be in trouble. 
Well, they're playing this Miami team That's that it. can't throw the ball at all. Can't. Perfect matchup for them. And uh, it's the get right know. game. I like the spot. So that we're going to have them in a tease. The next one would be the Vikings Lions. Now, we talked about the Vikings last week, and I put it on a platter for you to talk me out of the Vikings against the Browns, which you did. Thank you. Um, and I said to you, put the Vikings in our back pocket. <laughs> I still like this team. We're going to need them maybe next week. Well, here they go. They're playing Detroit. They're nine and a half point favorites. What do you think Cousins' record is on the Vikings against Detroit? What would you guess? Ooh, I would guess eight, eight and two. Six and oh. Never Six lost. Six and oh. 71 points against them last year, 62 in 2019, 51 in 2018. Dare I say Kirk Cousins kind of owns the Lions. Now, a lot of people, he's, he's, he's owning the Lions with Trubisky on the Lions. Yeah, he owns the Lions. Um, Detroit gives up 41 to San Francisco and 35 to Green Bay. Mm-hmm. 31st in defensive DVOA. Looks like they might not have Sewell, their rookie left tackle this week. He's very questionable and probably not playing. Um, defensively, they're already banged up. They also have a stretch after this where they're home for Cincinnati. At the Chargers, I'm sorry, at the Rams and home Eagles, they have a bye week. Do you think the Lions will be 0-8 heading into the week nine bye week? Very good chance. They're also without Romeo Aquara, who's out for the year now with an Achilles. And it might not be a household name, but they signed him to a $40 million deal this offseason. Defensive player that they love. Frank Ragnow, who might be one of the best centers in the league, is out with turf toe. Sewell, you said that. He also hasn't been good the last few weeks. And their defensive backs are just horrendous. And I don't want to name names because it's... But I'll name names. Like, they got a guy, Bobby Price, who's a former sa- a former safety. He's playing corner now. And he was lost on that 4th and 19 play late last week. Like they, yeah. They've got some real issues. They're down they lost a lot to Kuda, who's the third it's pick gone. in the draft two years gone. ago. Yeah. So, you know, and then Dan Campbell, I respect the fact that last week it's like fourth down, like let's go for it again. Fourth down, they did it twice where they like went for it, and it's probably not the LA analytics. And afterwards, he's like, I don't regret any of them. Like he like doubled down. He's like, that's how I want to play. But like, it's hard to go, I guess, four empty possessions within the ten yard line, which is what they did last week. It seems like that Ravens loss was such a gut punch, and now it could be that downward spiral and. I I don't see Kansas City putting up seven points again. They just have too much offensive talent. Cleveland's D was really good. Minnesota really struggled last week for whatever reason after that first drive where they marched right up the field and you texted me like, see, Vikings. I'm like, no, not Vikings. Long game. It was a um, weird, the, the big winner of that game was the Browns defense. Browns defense was great. And I, I, think I they, left that game thinking like, wow, these guys are young and fast and they're yeah. in all the right spots and you know? Vikings Vikings had uh, only 11 plays in Brown's territory after that first drive, which is startling. But this Lions but Cousins team, will do that, though. There will be the random Cousins games where he doesn't have it, and it's just like disjointed, and you can feel it. Let me read you the first four teams Minnesota played this year. I'm just going to give this to you, even though we know we, are, we watched all the games. At Bengals, at Cardinals, home Seahawks, home Browns. Mm. That foursome's a little tougher than I think we realized it was going to be. They, Great point. Like, I don't think the Bengals are necessarily a three and one team, but they have talent on both sure. sides of the ball. They're frisky, you know, and then you go through the other ones. The Cardinals have the best record in the league. Seahawks are the Seahawks, and the Browns might be the third best AFC team. So this is the first easy team they've played. It is. Is my point. I'd look at Dalvin's health a little bit if you're just talking about points in general because he toughed it out last week. I knew I, yep. 
I thought on Friday he wasn't going to go. Then I got word on Sunday morning he's going to. He only got eleven touches, but like he played. And their their offensive line was historically bad last week against Cleveland. That's not going to happen against Detroit. I I feel pretty confident. Bucks Vikings, and if you got a third team on a platter, Bill, I'm riding with you. I'm so excited to tell you about the third team. Let me hear. Can I introduce you to the New England Patriots? Let's go. They're laying eight and a half points to the Houston Texans. The Patriots, they've scored six touchdowns in four games. They have zero plays of 35 plus yards. Not sustainable. It's football. No. Everybody has like a decent offensive game at some point. I think they're starting to trust Mac. They'll spread it out. He's going to throw it. Um, there's some offensive line issues. There's like, I, I'm not even, I, I'm not even positive. I could tell you who's three of the five offensive linemen starters will be this mm-hmm. year. I'm not sure that's going to matter against Houston. Houston is so bad offensively. Some stats for you. They only have 773 passing yards in four games. 3.2 yards per rush. The mm. 38th in offensive DVOA. Brandon Cooks leads the team. 38 catches for 369 yards. Who do you think is their second leading receiver? The tight end, Aikens? Who is it? I have no idea. No, he's fourth. David Johnson is second with eight catches for 67 wow. yards. What's Danny 67 yards like is their second receiver. Oh my Amendola God. is their third receiver with six catches for 43 yards. And then Aikens has six catches for 53 yards. Pharaoh Brown, five catches for 73 yards. These are their top five receivers. Yeah, and they're going to have like Davis a- Mills throwing it to them. So I got more for you if you just want to pile on. Let's them. go. Let's pile Mills on. Had, the, Mills is last in the NFL in completion percentage, interception percentage, and passer rating. Uh, Texans last two games since they lost Tyrod, they're averaging four points per game and 11% conversion on third down. Ooh. I mean, it, it's, it's epically bad. And then obviously you went through the roster there. It's not going to get any better anytime soon. I, I go the other side of it too. Like, Patriots lost on Sunday, but obviously uh, Collinsworth was super jacked up about it. I don't know if I was as exuberant as he was, but like you come away from that thing being like, all right, Mac is pretty darn good. Yep. And and the, they, and the defense is good. I think the they, defense is really good. When, they they, when everybody's in the front seven, they can really move around, pressure, they can drop into coverage. I, I like our defense. I do too. And they haven't started one and four since Brady's rookie year. Like I, Belichick's, I can't see him go one and four. And then the last part about it, it's like, Mac completed 70% of his passes. He's not going to make mistakes. There's not going to be too many freak turnovers. Like, just play your game. You'll beat the Texans. And I think that's exactly what Mac Jones and that offense is doing. Now, do well, you and it's Patriot- also a must win game for them, which is, is like, you- if they were 4 0, I'd be more nervous. It's like, let down game. They're looking ahead. It's like, if they go 1 and 4, the season's over. Because they're is. already, what do you think, 10 and 7 in the AFC? Yeah, I think you that's need to the seventh spot. I think you have to yeah. be 10 and 7. They're one and three. So I have to go nine and four the rest of the way. You, this, this is actually like a must win. We can't lose game. It is. And it's a road game. So they're not going to be like sleeping at the wheel. Like they know they've got to make the trip. Now, I ask you uh, as a Patriots fan, because there's a few in my life and they'll say like, all right, we get it that like you want to protect Mac Jones, but we're losing games because of that. Why don't you let him do something? Let him yep. try something. There has not been a one deep pass like they had during the preseason when he connected a few of those to Wilkerson and those preseason games. Like there's been nothing this season. Do you feel like maybe it's time for them to loosen the reins a little bit? I think they did what they had to do last week because of the weather and because it was weird. Nobody wanted to make a mistake in that game. Brady didn't want to get picked or get strip sacked, anything. He just didn't want it. So it was was 
you know, and then on the flip side, the Patriots didn't want to turn the ball over and they wanted it to be a 20 to 17 type of game. This game, they'll open it up and we're throwing them in a tee. So we have more Gilmore have, trade. What's your thoughts? Oh yeah. Let's give me your Gilmore. Th- yeah. You wanna, actually, you know what? Let's, uh, let's take a break and then we'll come back okay. to your Gilmore thoughts. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUV. It's good to stay up to date. I mean, we've seen this in basketball. We've seen it in football. We've seen it in baseball. Once the stats started taking off in the 2000s, everybody had to figure that out. Then I remember in basketball, first it was three-pointers. Then it was defensive stats. You just got to keep moving. You got to keep evolving. You got to keep going. Now it's pace and threes. What's it going to be next, big guys? That's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps Assistant and more, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada SUVs at NissanUSA.com. All right, Stefan Gilmore, Pat's trading for a sixth rounder. Now, I knew I had a lot of info on this one where it was like they put him on the on the PUP list for six weeks. He didn't want to come back if he wasn't 100% unless they gave him an extension. They didn't want to give him an extension. It became a staring contest. I was still surprised. I thought, you know, if you're trying to make the playoffs and be a really good football team, which I think they are, kind of need Stefan Gilmore. Um, Belichick always goes a year early over a year late. And he's like, all right, fuck it. I'll, I'll grab the salary cap space. Basically says, we're waiving you unless somebody can make an offer. Carolina comes in. He lives there. Perfect place for him. They need D-backs. Um, and I'm sure he's going to be good for them. I thought it was an amazing trade for Carolina was my takeaway. Okay. So it was an amazing deal for Carolina. I look at it a little differently. This thing, this this train had left the station. I don't think he was ever playing another game for the mm. Patriots. Now, if you had asked me 10 months ago or 12 months ago, like, you know, could they be a market? Yes. And could the Patriots, they could have gotten much more for him, obviously. But I thought it was actually kind of a master class in working the media yesterday by Belichick. And I'm not a Belichick kiss ass. I'm not part of that world. I just am saying it objectively. I've, I've covered this league. Very unusual for the Patriots to say, we're releasing a player at 8 a.m. when you can't officially release a player till 4 p.m. So they come out and Schefter has it and Rappaport has it. And it's, wow, shocker. Patriots are releasing Stefan Gilmore. I got texts during our show, Good Morning Football, from three to four other teams texting me, guys at this saying, what do you have on that? Like, wh- what... Is, is his quad going to be okay? Like, and I'm like, I got nothing. Like, I don't know. And, you know, whether his quad is fully healthy, I don't know. The Patriots know that. And that might be the only team that knows that. But the amount of buzz of teams being like, whoa, cutting him, cutting him. So sure enough, here come multiple teams out of the woodwork doing their work on him. And you announce that you're releasing him at 8 a.m. You're not releasing him. You're trying to get something. And they got a bag of balls for him. I think Albert Breer called it a pylon. That's what they traded him for, a sixth round pick next year. But they did get something out of nothing. He was never playing for this team again. Everyone kind of knew that. And I think in the little window of Wednesday afternoon and Wednesday morning, I thought it was pretty interesting how they leaked that they're releasing him and they were able to squeeze something out of it. They sent him to a place that he lives, I think, two doors down from Scott Fitterer, who's the general manager of the Carolina Panthers. He's from Rock Hill, which is right there. And that's where they're probably going to... It's perfect for Gilmore. And so... You don't burn the bridge with Gilmore, who was a defensive player of the year and should have been a Super Bowl MVP that year. It's like, he's a legend for the Patriots. It's one of the best free agent signings they ever had. Maybe their only huge big money free agent signing. And it actually worked out. 
Um, and then on the back end, you get something. Would you say it's the best free agent signing that they ever had? Yeah, because they get Revis would have been the other one. Where they won the, Revis, with Revis was one year, but he was they only won. one year. Yeah, they yeah. won with Revis. That would be the other one. They've yeah. he he pretty rarely went big on free agents. The Daily Thomas this was probably the worst one. Yeah. I had I had a tweet about I thought during the Belichick era, I thought he was on the short list of the most talented, impactful Patriots. They and might here was lose, the list. They might lose before they might lose to Jacksonville. Blake Bortles completes that pass. He has that You're backhanded. Right. And then in the Super Bowl against Cooks, like Gilmore was incredible. So yeah, let's hear your list. I'm, I'm, I love this, like because I don't think yesterday's new, like, yesterday's news cycle was like, all right, now where's he go next? And like we turned the page, but like Gilmore was a really good Patriot, really good. I had Brady, Moss, McGinnis, Gronk, Ty Law, Seymour, Revis for the one year, and and uh, Gilmore. I think were the most talented and impactful Patriots. Now, some people would put Will Fork on there. Yeah, I would. And I feel like he's like right on the fringe. But then if I'm putting him in, now I have, now does Rodney Harrison make it? Yeah. Like He's kind of the gateway to four more guys. But like, if I'm right, just about, like, those guys have to be on the list. Welker and Edelman. I don't think the pure talent's in the same way. Yeah. You know, I thought hugely impactful, but. Gilmore was unbelievable. Unbelievable player. So I'm just talking about pure, like Moss is the most talented Patriot ever. And that, even though we had Tom Brady, the best quarterback ever, Moss is the best receiver yeah. I've ever seen in my life other than Rice. And was just so ridiculously athletic and everything. And you were just like, oh my God, this guy got dropped from a spaceship. So I'm judging him more <laughs> like that. But Gilmore was that good. And I think I said he was the second best cornerback other than Mike Haynes that we've ever had in my lifetime. Mike Haynes better than, was out of control. Better, I, I was, I'm too young for Haynes. Obviously, I know him as a Raider and a Patriot just historically, but what about Ty Law? You put him I, as... Yeah, I have him over Ty Law. Hmm. Revis, we caught at the tail end of the Revis prime. I think Gilmore was better. He just... His ability to basically be able to hmm. defend everybody was nuts. Like you mentioned, he he covered Cooks, but then he could also, like, you could put him on Travis Kelsey. Yep. You know, he was all over the place. He was a really special Patriot. And I think one one of the, like the three or four biggest reasons they won that Rams Super Bowl and were able to get through that Chiefs game. So anyway, there you go. So weird, a little slightly weird move by the Pats. But as you said, it was leaning toward the longer it went on without an extension. It was leaning toward that. And I uh, keep an eye on him. Everyone just thinks it's going to snap after week six of it. Like the Patriots medical staff, they're in it every day and they're monitoring it. Let's see how healthy he is. I'm sure he'll play, but like, let's see if he's ever what he was. And maybe the Patriots are like, let's get something for nothing. We'll see. And they kind of weirdly like this Jalen Mills that all the Eagles they fans the, hated. They like the Green him. Goblin. That's yeah. And JC Jackson was able to cover number one guy. So, all right. So we have Vikings, Pats, Tampa as a seven and a half point tease. The only other team I just wanted to mention was Dallas Giants. I think we're staying away from this game, but, um, Dallas, I think, is going to be teased by a lot of people. Dallas's offense is ridiculous. If you actually compare their offense through for, through four games versus the Chiefs, touchdowns, first downs, yards per pass, rushing per attempt, pretty even. What's interesting is the Giants aren't bad either. No, they're good. Jones is throwing for eight yards a, a pass. Um, they're rushing Barkley. Is that the first time Barkley looked kind of like Kamara-ish Barkley last week? They're in down two a, years? Down 11, seven minutes to go in the room. They're like, we're going to line him up wide. And he beats Marcus Williams and Lattimore in that, that little route that he did. Like, you know, and 
Did you watch Kadarius Tony dancing around players and doing all that stuff? Like he was like Barry Sanders, like got a little John Ross beating somebody deep. deep like one, they've they have speedy the receivers. They have a impact running back. I don't trust Daniel Jones in a big game. Dallas's D has nine takeaways. That's a red flag. I think this is a complete stay away. Complete don't put Dallas in a tease. And I don't really want to put the Giants in the underdog parlay either. I think we just stay away and we watch this. No, in the last seven minutes of regulation and then in overtime, the Giants' offense looked absolutely unstoppable and they got the defensive stops they needed. And I could tell you that, like, coming out of that game, there's a good feeling for the Giants that, like, well, we could do this. Like, let's go. We're, we're one and three. And this is what they do. They dig themselves into these holes. And Judge has not lost the team. He has. No. So we'll see. Well, and also they have to win this game because then have to. They'd be. So, they'd be Division Three full wise. games behind yeah. Dallas in the division. There's not yeah. going to be two playoff teams in the division. Other stayaways. I really wanted to bet Tennessee against Jacksonville. Tennessee's four and a, minus four and a half in Jacksonville with all the Urban Meyer stuff. And Sal and I have certainly been joking about how long this Urban Meyer thing is going to last compared to Roethlisberger, all that stuff. <laughs> I can't get there with Tennessee. They were so bad last week. So and I bad. Think you, you agree. So this is a stay away for us. Even Look, though it's like, wow, how do we not bet against Jacksonville this week? Here's the thing. Trevor Lawrence looked really good last week on Thursday night. Like, looked really good. And they lost that game and there were some bad decisions. They should have kicked the field goal or gone for it. Uh, or, or just try to, you know, at the end of the half last week. And then they went for it, got stopped, and then everything happened. But Titans have no pass rush. Their special teams player is like their number two pass rusher. They've got a bad kicker, bad punter. Two, two banged up receivers. They're two bang, their entire offensive line is banged up. I think three-fifths of their offensive line is banged up. Um, and Trevor Lawrence might be the best player on the field on Sunday. I, I don't it's know. It's a stay like, away. We, and, and, but ja the Jags might have quit on Urban Meyer this week for I all guess, we know. I mean, like, they might be trying to just be like, hey, if we quit on this guy this week, maybe they'll fire him. Maybe. And there's the other part of this, like, I don't know. We could talk about the urban thing. I, I yeah, let's the media, do it. What do you got? The media, I don't know. The media is up in arms about it and it's a weird video and like he's got to answer those questions at home and all that stuff and that's fine. But like, I don't know. I saw people on ESPN like crying about it. Like, I, I don't know. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't assault anybody. No, like this is his own personal life and it's not a great look, but these guys are professional players. I don't know if they're, I, don't, I can't play for this man after that. Like, I don't know. I don't know if he loses the team based on this video. Well, it doesn't sound like he was winning the team to begin no, with. No, so and I, I know think that at some point it's like every every little piece doesn't help. To. Yeah, yeah. Not a great look, I'll tell you that. But I also don't know if Trevor Lawrence suddenly is like not going to play his best because of it. If that makes any sense. Kyle, turn the camera on. Turn it on. <laughs> turn it on. I can see this on the Ringer Social. This AFC South could this be the worst division of all time? I remember I, a few years ago, I remember um, writing a piece about the NFC West. It must have been like 10 years ago. I was back in D.C. for doing hosting PTI a week with Tony. I know. And I was season. writing a football. Yeah, it was like 09. Charlie Whitehurst was the quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, yeah. And it was like, wow, what happens if like nobody's better than 79? Should we change the rules? And in that column, I had a whole thing about, hey, if you can't finish 500, you don't get to make the playoffs. And then other people are like, that's too harsh. Maybe it should be so far. Like, maybe we could say for a 17 game season, maybe it should be eight and nine. If you, but if you can't go eight and nine, there has to be some cutoff where you just can't make it. And the reason I bring this up with the AFC South, are, is anyone going eight and nine in this division? The, the Titans have, have lost to the Jets and they're like, the power of the division. I, <laughs> right. Yeah. They're the class of the division. They just I, lost oh, to Zach Wilson. 
I, I'm with you. I, I don't know. Like the Colts I, have Carson Wentz who has two sprained ankles. They're already missing a bunch of people, and I'm not sure they're good anyway. And I just don't Texans, think anyone. Yeah, Texans, Jags. Texans are the worst team in the league. The Jags are in this incredible coaching quagmire and they weren't built to win this year anyway. And it's just like, you might add up the wins for this division at the end of the year. And remember, they all get, what do you get? Three, you get, there's three possible wins against the other team. So it's nine possible wins just in the division. It might be what, 18 total? I think there's been Could it be less than 20? Would you go over 20 for wins in this division? It's fair. It's a good fan to a bet. The Titans, I mean, they had a great win against the Seahawks, that big comeback, but they got blown out at home by the Cardinals in a way, week one, that no team should lose at home when you're coming off a playoff season. And then everyone was like, COVID, weird. And it was like, no, no, I think you guys actually suck. No, they actually, yeah. Chandler Jones had five sacks. And guess what? It wasn't just because of the freak thing. Like, Quinn yeah. Williams was having a day last week. Quincy Williams, too. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't see many wins in this division. Could be the worst. Well, let, Let's go, let's go team by team really quick. Indy, their over-under was eight and a half. If they lose this Ravens game today, they're going to be one and four. Mm-hmm. I think best case scenario is eight wins for them. Jacksonville, their over-under was six and a half. They're not getting, if they get four wins, it would be a miracle. Houston, even if Taylor comes back, I don't see more than three or four max. Mm-hmm. And then Tennessee, I guess, would be the wild card. But they, they've already started the season off with such an injury bang. Sometimes that just infects the team. They also have a really hard schedule coming up. After they this do. Jaguars game, home Bills, home Chiefs, at Colts, at Rams, home Saints. Oof. I think that I think the under over under is less than twenty for this division. Something to watch. Remember that NFC West season so well because I think Sunday night football was like, we're going with it. It's gonna be Rams, Seahawks. And you had like either it's Madden or Collinsworth, whoever it was, and it was like literally like Charlie Whitehurst versus like Sean Hill on a week seventeen Sunday night game. And it was like for I all thought, the marbles, it was a I lost so game. much money on that game. That was when <laughs> I almost won the suit. I had a chance to be top five super contest. Is that right? And you bet against yeah, the you That bet was the, Rams? the last that was the last one. And Charlie Whitehurst, who looked like Jesus, he, he just won. murdered me. Yeah. He won. He looked great. That's why I don't go to church. Uh, <laughs> That's more it. stayaways. Browns, Chargers. Browns are uh, getting two and a half. There's some Baker Mayfield is has a partially torn left labrum, but he's fine. It's not affecting <laughs> him. It's like, no, I, I've had a partially torn labrum. It affects you. It hurts when you sleep. It hurts when you roll over. It hurts to do anything. You don't feel right. You definitely don't want to get hit on it. So you got that front. Um, you have a Chargers run defense that's abominable. It's Pick, right picked now. Picked it up four, last week. Stopped the Raiders last week, but it's been horrible until well, last week. Who, but who'd they stop on the Raiders? Jacobs was there, but like he, Jacobs, I think, was, was held under 50 injured, yards. In, injured yeah. Jacobs and Turf Peyton Barber. Yeah. They've allowed the fourth most rushing yards this year. Um, Cleveland's D is third in DBOA. They've allowed the third least rushing yards. And this is just a weird game. I'm staying away. Stay I wanted away. to, I wanted to take the chargers. I was excited about it. I just can't get there. Baker has an injury and he's wearing some piece of equipment to protect it. Baker, it's not his throwing arm and that's not their game. It's not, they're not yeah. asking Baker to they're throw. They're winning this game by running. They're yeah. going to win the game a different way. And also their defense is so darn good that it travels. Like I would stay away also. Stay away. All right. Last. I don't know if this is a stay away or not, but where do you stand on Panthers minus three and a half at home against the Eagles? I like it. Okay, good. All right. All right. So we're going to throw that in. When we come back, 
We're going to do some straight up and some underdog, and then we'll figure out what we're doing for Million Dollar Picks. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? This is something I've thought about a lot over the last 25 years. Sometimes little kids enter your life. Sometimes you're just searching for that extra hour. Sometimes it feels like all of a sudden it's three o'clock, four o'clock, and it's like, where'd the day go? I barely did anything. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority and therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month, 10%. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Bill Simmons. All right, straight up bets we like. We already mentioned Jets plus three. Panthers minus three and a half, the Eagles. Panthers defense looked awesome. And then they played Dallas. They have a new uh, CJ Henderson had just joined the team. Mm -hmm. JC Horn's out. Um, It happens. Dallas, Dallas went up and down the field on them, but Dallas might have one of the three offenses that matters this year. Maybe four, maybe five. I don't know. Panthers clawed their way back until Trayvon Diggs had two picks at the end. Like the Panthers didn't go away, which I liked. Eagles put up a bunch of stats last week against a KC defense that clearly uh, was half asleep and waiting for this Bills game. The line is three and a half. I hate the half point. That's what scares me. I wish it was three. You're not scared? No, I... Look, as much as I respect what Devontae Smith did last week and Kenny Gainwell, like I really think this Panthers defense is pretty good. And I, in Carolina, I don't know. I, I feel like I like, the, I like the Panthers here. They're the better team right now. I'm also going to criticize the Chiefs, even though their defensive coordinator knows way more about football than I do. I think the Eagles are a pretty gimmicky team. You can't be like completely stunned by, you know, these designed rollouts mm-hmm. and these quick screens and all that stuff. But the Chiefs were like, whoa, what's that? For four quarters. It was like they didn't know what was going on. I thought that was weird. The thing I like about this Panthers team, you know, Horn gets hurt. They're like, boom, we're getting CJ Henderson. Gilmer's available, boom, we're getting him. Like, I actually think they feel that they have a chance. And it's not just like a chance to make the playoffs. I think they actually think they have a chance. There's a confidence with them. And that tells me they're not losing to the Eagles. They have an owner who used to run a Wall Street firm that you would walk into the hedge fund, Appaloosa, and there was two giant testicles in the office. That was, it was like a, like a 10 foot. Yeah. Te- that's what you walked into. That's what Tepper has. It's let's go. What are we doing? Like, I'm not here to own a team that's going to go eight and eight. And that's kind of why they moved on from Bridgewater. It was like, it's all good. Like we like being fine, but like, let's be great. So when Stefan Gilmore's available, let's go get him. When CJ Henderson's available, go get, they've got a blank check. Go do what you got to do. Let's make this team viable. And, McCaffrey is someone to watch. We might get McCaffrey. You might get a little McCaffrey. You might How about get a the McCaffrey? Eagles offensive line, which is bad, but it didn't matter against the Chiefs, but it's going to matter against the Panthers and Burns. They're, they're banged up. They played well last week against the Chiefs. Like we talked about, the Chiefs defense is almost like an anomaly. You can't grade it against it. I, I like the Panthers in this one. If they are what 
I think they want to be, which I think you hit on, like they don't lose this game. They go out and they win and they're like, no, 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 we're not going anywhere. I know whatever you think we're a fluke. We lost last week. We're good. We're fine. Well, we could do Panthers money line if that if just all they have to do is win. If you Let's wanted to do, you want to do that. The, uh, not a rule. The money line will be on FanDuel minus, that's not bad, minus 168. Let's go. So we can put that with uh, a couple other things. Let Did you like that, that Tepper nugget? I really mean that. You walk in the hedge fund and it's, uh, imagine having that in your office. Just two testicles. It's lovely. I love any story about two testicles in an office <laughs> that, that <laughs> isn't a cancel culture story. Um, I've heard there's a lot of good Tepper buzz on like, he's kind of the sleeping giant of the owners. There's not enough content about him yet, but I fully expect, remember when Joe Lacob had that thousand points of light New York times magazine yep. interview where people are like, Whoa, what the fuck is up with this guy? It feels like that's going to happen with Tepper in the next couple of months. Somebody will I, have that piece. What I like about Tepper is that he'll go on CNBC. He'll go on like squawk box, like all time. It's not big into the NFL media yet, but he'll bring his team. So like, I think Becky Quick asks him something about like, you know, what do you think of the S&P? And he's like, Sam Darnold's having a better week than the S&P. And like all the financial guys on there are like, we have no idea what that means. He doesn't play by all the traditional rules. And yet he's a respected businessman. And on these conference calls where it's a lot of the owners, like he has no shame in like unmuting his mic and talking and being like, hey, Jerry, here's my thoughts on it, which is new for you know a lot of these owners. Yeah, it's a little Mark Cuban in the late 90s, early 2000s of like the new younger, younger way of thinking guy who comes in and you have this old dinosaur owners. Like, Whoa, who's this guy? I'm, not, I'm, I'm telling you, there's going to be a good temper piece at some point. Saints Washington is one that you like. Saints second in defensive DVOA. Saints also have, for whatever reason, so far this season, an atrocious passing game. It has been the Paris, so weird. Harris leads the team with 11 catches for 164 yards. Kamara has 10 catches. Nobody else has more than 10. Nobody has 175 yards of receiving on this team. And the Sean Payton is a genius thing, is taking a hit. I, so what, I, what do you expect? I feel like this week they're minus two and a half at Washington. There'll be 20,000 Saints fans there. Um, this would seem like a good week to, to get it untracked, right? So here's, <laughs> you, you start hitting on it. All right, Saints offense is historically bad in so many ways. They've only had 14 plays that have been a run of 10 or more yards or a pass of 20 more yards. It's worse in the league. They're averaging 275 yards per game. It's the franchise's worst since 96. 144 passing yards per game. Oof. That's the lowest since 1986. And here's the craziest play. They have five 20-yard plays. Five. That's it. Through four games. It's the worst offense we've ever seen since Sean Payton has gotten there. And yet the Washington defense, which you and Sal have hit on a bunch, and Sal was on it early last, over the summer about, were they really that good last year? They're 30th in points, they're 29th in yards, and they're last in the league in takeaways. I think this is the ultimate Sean Payton get-right game. Let's get our offense going. Kamara has 10 catches on the year. Like, what are we doing? I feel like I understand that they've been trying to protect Jameis a little bit, and let's just get a couple wins under our belt. Like, this one feels like the Saints get back on track and they're the team that, at least offensively, we thought they would be this year. I'm with you. Last one, Packers minus three at Cincy. I'm willing to be talked out of this. Green Bay, 92 points in their last three games. I'm becoming more and more convinced we just throw out week one. There's no preseason anymore. Teams can prepare for a team for four months. And it's almost like just throw it out. Uh, 
Burrow, now they've granted they've played nobody, but Burrow, 9.2 yards per attempt. And I don't know, is it, I thought he was going to suck first half of the year because of that injury, it felt like they're rushing him back too soon. They have a weird running back situation where like, Mixon's healthy. He's not healthy. Mixon, yeah, in, it's like it's Mixon. What's going on? He always has the red flag next yeah. to him. Then Samaj they have P. Ryan, P. Ryan comes in. P. Ryan behind him. Um, T. Higgins like might play, might not play. But um, I'm just. I feel like I'm just with the Packers. I don't see it right with them a lot of times, and I'm always erring toward thinking they're not going to have it this week or looking for a reason to pick against them. And I think it's just because I didn't like the Aaron Rodgers diva thing that he did this year. I'm. Di- we need wins this week. Can the Packers beat Cincy by a field goal? They can. It's in Cincinnati. But like last week, Cincinnati was down 14 nothing at the half. They come out and Burrow just marches them right down the field. Jacksonville sending everyone at him. He's taking hits. He's in the pocket. He's, he's, he's delivering. I'm not bet. I wouldn't bet against them. I don't know. In, All right. Say, in say no more. We'll stay, stay away. away. All right. Staying away. Underdog parlay of the week. We have three choices. Okay. 49ers who is my favorite underdog parlay team in a while, plus 205 against the uh, undefeated Cardinals. Okay. A classic, oh yeah, the Cardinals, I'll throw them in a tease, I'll throw them in a parlay. Oh yeah, Niners, Trey Lance. <laughs> Shanahan now has a whole week to figure Dials out this Trey up. Lance thing. They, I think they have good advantages. The Ringer uh, gambling show with Solak mm-hmm. and uh, Warren Sharp did a nice job of breaking down like, this is actually a nice matchup for them on both sides of the ball. Like their front line is can kind of keep Kyler in check and then they can run the ball on the Cardinals, which nobody has really done this year because they've been fortunate other than playing Dalvin cook when he was going nuts in week two. Yeah. They haven't really played a running back. Yeah. We think you can run on this team. Actually, plus- they, they did shut down Derrick Henry week one, but you're saying week one, let's throw it out the window. Yeah. That was like, they, they had the, the Lewin situation. Chandler yeah. Jones had five. So I'm throwing <laughs> that week out. Um, 49ers plus 205. Last year, with Kyler Murray in the lineup, there was a random Saturday game that only ran on Amazon Prime. Not many people watched it. It was like Christmas weekend. The Cardinals needed to win, and they were playing the Niners, who had been living in a Renaissance hotel in Glendale, Arizona, for the last week, playing for nothing. Yeah. And the 49ers kicked the ever-living you-know-what out of the Cardinals. And it was like, we're not losing to the Cardinals. I, I I don't know if the if what it like if it's a different Cardinals team whatever it is I could see the the 49ers after losing last week to Seattle and having it go the way it did the week prior I I could see the San Francisco 49ers rallying on this one I like it as a two to one dog I think it's I think it's smart you also have uh, the Niners have a bye week next week so Let's this get is this a week borderline kitchen sink game for them right on the flip side Cardinals. 49ers this week at the Browns a week later. Mm. That's a terrible matchup for them. I don't like that matchup for them at all. Browns fast defense. Browns can pound the ball, keep Kyler off the field. There's a world in which the cards are just four and two in eight days. And we're like, whoa, cards. Remember that? And we every year we have the September rabbit team. And maybe that was the Cardinals this year. All right. So we're marking them down. The Niners plus two and oh five. I'm going to give you the Colts. Plus 265 in Baltimore. Okay. Your thoughts? I, I don't like it. Okay. I think this Ravens team is always ready to go. At it's a Monday home. nighter. 
on these night games. Like that crowd gets into it. Those fans go and like there's a certain inertia and energy. Like they don't drop the ball. They don't have those no-show games. It sometimes happens to the Ravens where they lose on the road and it's like, what? A one o'clock game? Like what? Are they-? they don't not show up for these primetime games. I don't, they're the better team. And they're the better running team. And that's what the Colts' strength is. I think the Ravens take care of business. I would not bet against the Ravens. That leaves us with the team I really wanted to put in this second spot. The rejuvenated Bears. Wow. Pulled the playbook away from Matt Nagy last week. Bill Lazor. Bill Lazor steps in. Everybody's hero. The man who was able to unlock Justin Fields and make him seem like a professional quarterback again. Good defense. You have a Raiders team that clearly is a little smoke and mirrorsy, has a little trouble blocking against the teams that that can get a little active up front, which the Bears can do. Mm-hmm. Um, coming off a tough loss, I don't think they can run the ball. Jacobs doesn't seem healthy to me. Um, they've been able to gimmick some stuff where they always seem twice a game. I've I've watched I think every Raiders game. So have I. <laughs> they somehow are always able to get rugs on one side of the field doing that long Randy Moss yep. across the gets field. One again. Car just car just chucks it. Um but I think the Bears can beat Vegas and the Bears are plus two hundred in Vegas. And if you put Bears 49ers together plus seven seventy. Let's do it. Okay. I'm in. You don't like it that much, so I can tell. I don't. I mean, look straight up. I don't. I don't love it, but why not? We're having fun with the underdog parlay. Let's go. It's how you win all the money back. Nobody else you like. I like the or, Giants. I gave you the Giants. You shit on that one. I did not. I didn't like it in the big parlay with the T's and all that stuff. I like it in the underdog parlay. You like it in the underdog parlay? All right. We said we were going to stay away from the Giants Cowboys, but if we do. <laughs> Giants and the 49ers, that's plus 908. And if we do okay. Giants and the Bears, it's plus 980. My recommendation, maybe we get a little frisky. Let's we do three $33,000. Go. Bears, 49ers, set plus 770. Giants and the cards are Giants and 49ers plus 908. And then Giants, Bears is plus 980. I think we do all three. Bill, when if we were two of them up, hit, we're, we're doing great. Who are the NFC powers, the teams you would play with on Tecmo Bowl and what you yeah. would always see with Madden and Summerall? It was the Niners, it was the Bears, and it was the Giants. This is a throwback weekend. Let's go. Great stuff. All right, when we come back, the million-dollar picks for week five. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system. Comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service and home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com slash BS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, 
I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra. Not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside. LDA, 21 and up. The million dollar picks for week five. I'm so excited. Schrager and I just hashed out the schedule for a solid hour and we feel really good about this. We needed a win. We, we, we lost a little. We're only up $575,000 for the year. We got to do better than that. We're going to open up. Should we open it up? Is it time? Please, let's is go. Is it time? Are we do like Jameis Jameis and Sean Payton? Is it time to open it? All right. It's time. We have, these are all lines on FanDuel. We, on FanDuel, we can do a 7.5 point tease at plus 105. We're going to use New England minus eight and a half against Houston. Tampa minus 10 against Miami. Minnesota minus eight and a half against Detroit. Bring them all down. The highest we've gone this year is 500K. You want to you jack it up a little or are we good at 500K? I like Should living a little dangerously. Jack I it up? A little, I feel like we could jack it up a little bit. I like these right. three. Let's, go, let's jack it up to 700K wow. on those three. All right? So we have that. Now we're going to do some straight ups. 200K, we both like the Jets plus three. That's a lot of money, Bill. 200? In London. What do you want to go lower? 150? Lower. lower. All right. 100? 100. Right. <laughs> All right. Schrader <laughs> says 100. 100K. This is, this is good. 100K, Jets plus three. We'll do how much you want to put on Panthers minus three and a half against the Eagles. I like the Saints more than any of them. All right. But does, you know how the, we'll put 100K on the Panthers minus three and a half against the Eagles. Okay. We'll put 100K in the Saints minus two and a half in Washington. Okay. We'll try, we'll try to at least go two for three with those because we have all our monies on the big T's. Do you want to you put a little taster on the Chiefs and the over? Hmm. Chiefs minus three with the over, which would be Chiefs minus three. The over is 56 and a half. That's plus 291. Little 50K flyer. A little Josh Gordon action. Let's yeah, go. Little 50K flyer on that. And then we have not one, not two, but three underdog parlays. 33K on each. Bears 49ers plus 770. Uh-huh. Giants card, uh, Giants 49ers plus 908. Giants Bears plus 980. Just need to hit one of those. So we're risking 99K basically. Just one. Just hit one of them. We're tripling, quadrupling, whatever our money. Those do, you know are. How good I, do you know how good I feel right now? You like those. So I we're all great. in on that three-teamer. The seven and a half point tees on FanDuel. Thank you, FanDuel. What a gift. The million-dollar picks for week five. Peter Schrager. I think we did it. I, I really think we, this is the week. This is our breakout week. I feel the same way Sean Payton feels. I, it's all going to come together it's this time. week. It's time. It's time. It's all happening. Uh, Schrager, we can see you on Good Morning Football. We've seen you on Fox this Sunday. Fox NFL kickoff. It airs 11 a.m. Eastern every Sunday in L.A. And then I'm on Good Morning Football, Monday to Friday, NFL Network, 7 to 10 Eastern. Thank you. Are you going to watch the baseball playoffs or because the Red Sox are still involved? I'm up. in. I'll watch it. I got sucked in. I couldn't believe Adam Wainwright is still pitching in the major leagues. I watched <laughs> I that. Great. I, was, I was amazed. I loved it. I'm like, oh, wait. I, I, I'm Cowboy so many... Joe West. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
I have so many Dodger fans who were just furious that they were in a one-game playoff. And I'm like, look, it was a death match between you and the Giants for three months. You lost the division. This was the this was the booby prize. Win a game. They won the game, and now they get to keep going. I go in and out on baseball. So when I'm watching and I see Adam Wainwright, Cowboy Joe West, and then Laz Diaz all out there, I'm like, ah, this is yeah, this what year is like, this? I know these people. I know yeah. these guys. All right, Shrakes, good to see you. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, TV Concierge is a very special edition because Succession is coming back on HBO, I think October 17th. Joanna Robinson is here. We've never done a podcast together. We've never met face-to-face. We just met on Zoom. So it's, it's really emotional. I've got an almost famous thing behind me. Uh, first of all, hello. How are hello. you? Hello. Um, yeah, I asked Bill if he, he did some set dressing to make me feel welcome. But apparently this is an organic, almost famous That's connection. Great. Though, of course, like destiny. throw a stone in a sea of journalists and you're going to hit an almost famous <laughs> fan probably. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is destiny because we're talking about succession, which you and I have been texting about. Uh, I did a rewatch. I'm preparing for this 20 favorite characters episode I'm going to do with Joe House on TV Concierge next week, my buddy. And uh, so I did a rewatch and then I decided I'm going back. I, I'm doing the rarely seen re-rewatch. And one of the interesting things about this show and one of the reasons I think people love talking about it is nobody has like the same favorite episode, which you pointed out to me. Because the episode we're going to talk about here is called Safe Room. Right. Um, I think it is the best succession episode because for reasons I'll explain. You don't agree, but I don't think a lot of people would agree. And what we realized is that one of the things about the show is everybody has their own favorite episode, right? After you and I talked about it a little bit, I polled and did an informal poll of a bunch of people. No one came back 
with the same answer. There, uh, um, and most people actually, I think a thing about Succession is that uh, it's it's not an episode where people can easily identify or a show where people can easily identify an episode. They they would usually come back with a moment like Bore on the Floor, or L to the OG or something like that. They're not saying, you know, the one where, etc. And I think that season two actually did a really good job because they're lo- location hopping so much. There's the DC, Dundee, Argestes, like all these locations are the names of the episodes. So I thought season two did a better job of delineating each episode but i think the one that you want to talk about safe room uh does have a like one of those iconic uh moments which is the water bottle moment but i did rewatch it last night just to just to see what you see in it and i'm 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 closer to agreeing with you than i was yesterday oh wow look at this so this is the great thing about the re-rewatch is you're not you're not even watching for plot anymore. You're watching for all of these different things. You've advanced. You've advanced to a higher state of right. watching a show. And I think if you look at Succession, the first five, six episodes are basically grounded in New York in this little power struggle Kendall's ha- having. Then we go to the ranch. We go to Connor's ranch in New Mexico that he had to rename Austerlitz. Amazing. Uh, and then we move to like the basically the wedding stuff and there's the bachelor party, which is a lot of people's favorite episode, Prague. And then the last two, which are centered around the wedding. And then in season two, as you said, we start location hopping. They really figure it out. It's like every episode has some distinct feel. Yeah. And I, so, and I think people cite Prague as a favorite because I think that's the moment when a lot of people locked into the show. A lot of people felt like season one was a slow ramp up and then Prague is the one where they locked in. And so I think a lot of people remember that as a turning point. But I do think on a rewatch or the rare double rewatch, um, there are some other winners that sort of emerge. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's... So there's three different spots of of season one where I think people got sucked in. And I don't... It, may, it depends on the person, right? Because it could be the fourth episode where it seems like Logan's going to concede at the big dinner and instead he pulls one over on Kendall. He summons the strength to get up and he's like, I'm back. Right, right. And that's that's when the show really kicks in the gear. And you also have Connor. He's running the party in that episode. You have some great Connor. His character's starting to come together. Frozen butter. Or, yeah, you have a million things. <laughs> yeah. So that that's like a lot of people, I think that was the episode where they're like, oh, I, I get the show I'm in. Other people might have waited till episode six when Kendall tries to do the uh, the the bear vote, but then gets can't fly in the helicopter. He's running through the streets of New York. That's just a great episode. Yeah. And then I think the last group, it was the Prague, the bachelor party, which is the funniest one of the first eight. That I think they were like, oh, now I okay, I I now I know where this is. This is just going to be one of those shows. I'm in. And it seems like it's one of those three, right? You got sucked in one of those three spots. Yeah, and I think for Prague, it's like the depravity, the the like delicious depravity of Prague is what got a lot of people hooked into sort of, oh, this is the uh, this is the juicy Sunday watch that I'm going to enjoy uh, if I'm not <laughs> right. here for the boardroom. And something that you and I did talk about is like, I think people's answers for their favorite episodes are so different because Succession works on so many different levels. Um, I think if you think of it like, a soup. There are some shows that just give you like tomato bisque, like one flavor. Right. And then this is your three. I don't know how long it takes to make chili. 24 hours, three days. I don't know. But like there's just all this different stuff. Do you like the emotional family stuff? Do you like the zingy one liners? Do you like watching the privileged class enjoying their privileges? Like whatever it is, there's something. And so I think 
it depends where you want to be hit, which episode you might latch onto the most. But I'm really interested to hear your your safe room argument, honestly. All right. So for the listeners, safe room is the one where the characters are in a bunch of different places, but where all of them are shining for different reasons. We have, it's the episode where we meet Holly Hunter's character, Rhea Jewel. She comes in because Logan has decided he needs to buy Pierce as fast as possible to stave off these people trying to take over the company. So we have that. We have Roman's doing management training. We'll go into that. We have Shiv's first day in the office when it's, she's starting to realize she's been sold, you know, a, a stack of nothing. Yeah. You have most funeral and you have some really good Connor Willis stuff. Then you have this Hitler anchor crisis that Tom has to solve. And as he's solving it, we have a shooter in the office and they have, everybody has to go to a safe room. Um, but, and then we have Roman and Jerry starts fermenting in this episode too. So we, we're juggling all these things. The reason I think this is the best episode is the last scene with Kendall and Shiv, I think is the single best scene out of the first 20 episodes. And a scene that honestly, I get choked up when I watch it. It's so well acted. It's the best of both characters where it's like the first time we see Kendall just completely broken from the accident in season one and all the great stuff he does. And then Shiv, all the stuff she's doing in that scene. I think Sarah Snook's an incredible actress. I don't love the character. I think the character's all over the place. She's an amazing actress. What she does just with her face in that scene, as she realizes, like, she, he goes in for the hug and she's like, she's doing that kind of, you know, she's a tough, tough lady. She's seen everything. And then she realizes this guy's broken and her face just changes. I think it's the best moment in the show. So that's why I have it as the number one episode. I think it's an incredible emotional moment. I completely agree with you. And, um, and I think, yeah, she gets her, her eyes fill like with tears, um, on a dime almost. And it's just, um, it's hard to argue with that. I think, and I think you're right that there's strong, uh, plot lines for everyone. Like, you know, Connor and the funeral is some of the best Alan Ruck stuff we get. It's so good. Great, great platform for Willa, et cetera. Um, for me, though, the the true joy of succession is when all the players are mixing in the same room and because they're separated in safe room, some in subpar safe rooms, um, right. <laughs> I don't get to see them sort of clashing. And so actually I was trying to figure out my favorite and I think it's the one directly after, which is Turnhaven, where you see um them all in the mix uh, and that's the one where the family goes to court the Pierce family um at their at their vacation home Turnhaven and you get this uh injection of new characters um and you get also something that I really love a friend of mine described once described uh part of succession to me is liberal doritos um and as a liberal myself <laughs> I enjoy eating liberal doritos <laughs> but <laughs> But I think it's fun to watch the Pierce family come in because then you get these these the skewering of the other side as well. And so it it feels like fair and balanced uh, skewering. And I just love the Pierces. They're so ridiculous and insufferable. The way that Nan, uh, Nan Pierce, played by the great Cherry Jones, the way that she treats her, uh, you know, her, I don't know, chief cook, um, 
she's like, come have a cocktail with us. And she's like, no, I can't. She's like, oh, you never treat yourself. But then later takes full credit for the full family dinner. You know, it's all this like <laughs> right. quiet background stuff, just damning the Pierces for being just as bad, despite their sort of high horse morals being just as bad. And the way that they're just quoting Shakespeare and all this sort of stuff. I just think that that mix um, for me is is really fun to watch. Meanwhile, the Roys are sniping each other. Meanwhile, Mark Millad, who's, you know, one of the great succession directors, is catching all of this in like crowded party scenes or a crowded dinner scene. The camera is constantly like moving around and catching little asides. I just think it's I think that's but it's close because safe room is really good. No, you know? I think that case is really smart because this is when the show is at its best, when they're all in some sort of big somewhere. Yeah. And the camera can bounce around and hit the different people. And and you just never know who's going to end up like dropping the gloves in hockey and going at it for 45 right, seconds. Exactly. That's why those the wedding shows, the last two and the bachelor party, but really the wedding shows um, where they're just over and over again, they're in the same spot. They're trying to flip things. There's so much jousting. And they kind of figured out that was the best way to make the show work. That's kind of what I think that helps my safe room case. This is one of the few times <laughs> they actually put everybody in different spots mm -hmm. and the show is still this fully realized show where all the characters are still working. I don't know if they could have done that in season one because we didn't have the, at this point now we have, this is the 16th episode or 14th episode. I have enough backstory with each character that all the relationships make sense. Like, I don't know if Connor and Willa could have carried their own thing like that in the first season. I didn't even know what to make of Willa. And then once he had his political campaign at season two, Willa takes off. Willa like gets it. So great. She she's on for the ride. You love what you love Willa, I think, even more than I do. I, I do. I love Willa. I think she's a stealth favorite. She's got that uh that great line at the funeral where she's like, uh it's not before there were laws, was it? Talking about the wolf pack and all the you know, <laughs> Connor's like, it was a different time. She's like, not before there were laws, right? And Willa's <laughs> Willa's pass that she does on the eulogy and and Alan Ruck's delivery of that and all of that is just uh yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't think you could even do Connor on his own. I don't think we get him on his own at all in the first season. And so um I think I think establishing them and, and it's great Kendall's uh great Kendall stuff, the opening and closing roof moments for Jeremy Strong. Just, well, there, there, there's definitely a self-destruction suicide theme hanging over this with him, right? When he goes to the roof at the beginning, you're like, uh-oh. Right. Um, when he goes back up, uh-oh. And then at the end, after he sees Shiv, he goes back up again. And there's a lot of stuff that, this is a completely different episode the third time you watched it versus the first time. But the first time, there's some genuinely exciting moments in this. Like even the Roman Jerry thing, which they'd kind of been setting up, but they're like, nah, they won't actually go there. And then as it starts going there and they start having phone sex, like, oh my God, they're <laughs> they're going to do this. And you can see even Jerry, the, the actress who plays Jerry, who's great, Jay Smith Cameron. Yeah. And she, you can see her, like there's like real delight in her eyes. Like, oh my God, I guess we're going to do this. And it's just, it's so unexpected. And this episode has like five moments like that yeah the uh I, I like to call it the slime puppy moment uh great great jerry line <laughs> no and and i when i was watching that, i was like oh no there's no way i'm gonna win this argument if there's this great jerry roman uh moment in safe room but 
in Turnhaven, they bring that phone conversation into the room. And Jay Smith Cameron also has this other great reaction shot on the other side of the door where she's like, what am I doing? What's happening in my life? She's in these like Laura Ashley, like satin pajamas. And it's just it's it's a. It's great stuff. Then they have the morning after uh, awkward conversation. So, yeah. the uh, Well, the, m- maybe the answer is safe room combined with Turnhaven is the greatest succession. A episode. two-parter. It's really just two-part because they're all part in the first one. And then we get to see them all together. But it's a continuation. Yeah. And it's also the last, uh, may- maybe the last argument I'll make for Turnhaven is it's got that line from Naomi where she says, what does she say? She's like, the greatest pleasure in the world is watching you people melt down, right? You know, it's the most satisfying thing in the world. That's the premise of the show, right? Is is just watching the Roys self-destruct. I was also thinking about these things as like, as almost battle episodes. The, that, yeah. that safe room is sort of the night before the battle episode where they're all hunkered down in rooms and having conversations. And then this is actually them going into battle with the Pierces and then just own goaling one after another, right? They just, they tear themselves apart rather than the pierces having to tear them apart because they're so dysfunctional. So, um, one thing about, so if you just go through safe room and then we'll talk about Turnhaven after, um, safe room is juggling all of these plots at the same time and all of these different characters really effortlessly. And you don't realize how many things are going on until like, I actually wrote it down. Like, Kendall's melting down over the course of the episode. That's like the A theme of this. It's like, this guy's actually on on the ropes. But then, and his dad, like, who's a monster, he has real concern for him. Like, you can see it a couple of times, even when they're all in the safe room. He's like, where Kendall? Kendall comes in. He's like, Kendall, are you okay? And the underlying thing is he was probably thinking there's a shooter. I hope it wasn't Kendall. But it's one of the few times, like, he's actually like a decent, caring dad. And not just a complete monster. So you have that whole thing. You have Roman doing the management training, which is like really the perfect non-family scenery for him, where he gets to be the big swinging dick, but at the same at the same time he can't help himself from being a jackass. He makes friends with that guy Brian. He claims his name's Ron Rockstone. <laughs> There's like he's in the gobbledy gook gooker uh, costume, costume yeah. making fun of people. So they're just letting him. And then it's like, oh, we didn't get enough Roman. Well, he's going to have aborted phone sex with his girlfriend and get mad and hang up by having a fake orgasm. And they go right to Jerry and it's just, he's completely unhinged. So they realize him. You have the shiv piece, which is all the frustrating. Like, where do you stand on shiv as a character? I, I think the actress is incredible. I, I think one of the flaws of the show is they never figured out is shiv smarter than everyone else or in her own way, like kind of just as flawed as everyone else. And she's the only one who doesn't realize that. I think, um, I've been listening to you make your case about Shiv and I've been thinking about, about your, your Shiv issues. And I don't, I don't wholly disagree. Um, I really liked, uh, Mallory Rubin sort of swung in with this interesting take where, because Logan keeps calling her so smart then we as an audience expect her to be smarter than she is. And I think she is smart, but she's not cut out for this world. Like, this isn't her world. And, you know, it's it's hard not to accept the crown if it's offered to you, even if you're not suited to rule this particular kingdom. But, like, when you see her in other scenarios, like when she was doing her political career, I think she is incredibly capable and smart in that context. But I think what Logan is finding over and over again is none of his, all he wants is 
for there to be another him. And mm. because uh, his kids are so broken because of him, none of them are strong enough to be another him until Kendall pulls his move at the end of season two. And that's why you get, I think, that big smile from Logan where he's like, finally. He's like, finally. Yeah, yeah. finally one of them is like, is doing a meet. But like Shiv, uh, I think Shiv definitely thinks she's smarter than she is or thinks she's more capable in this arena. And that's a big mistake that she makes where she's like, oh, I know. I know what I'm doing without actually listening or observing in any way, you know? Yeah, she's also like very professionally honest. Like her her best trait is, here's my opinion. I'm just going to tell you what I think, right? And where she lies is in her personal life. Like she lies, she, her relationship with Tom, whatever the hell is going on right. there, that's where all the deceit is. And that's where she'll look somebody in the face and tell them something and believe the complete opposite. But professionally, she's pretty candid. And you have that scene in uh in in Safe Room where, which is another thing that happens, they, they end up in the safe room with Rhea. That's another piece. Rhea comes in to represent the Pierces. And you have this incredible four-way negotiation scene. We already know Kendall's super threatened by Shiv, doesn't know why she's there. Right. And Shiv just starts talking to Rhea about, yeah, this probably wouldn't work. Two separate cultures. Like she's not negotiating at all, but in a weird way, it's perfect for the negotiation because then Kendall can come in on the other side and be like, all right, 21. And now he's he's starting to swing it a little bit. And then Logan's watching the whole thing and he's the opposite of Shiv. Like he's full of shit all the time. He's like, you can trust me. Oh, I, I'm right here. <laughs> when my word is law, it's like, you're the biggest scumbag on the show. Wow. Nobody can trust you. An incredible um, Brian Cox impression. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you could trust me. But I think, I think that... Um... What's interesting about Shiv, you're you're right that she's professionally honest, but she doesn't have the conviction. Like she'll say these things and then she'll see that her dad doesn't like what she says and she'll immediately she, back she down. She goes back. And yep. I think what he would want from her is for her to be professionally honest and then stand firm in that opinion. You know, that Well, she does that. She's in the conference room earlier when they're talking about how to handle the ATN anchor in this safe room episode. Yeah. And Tom is like babbling about something and she kind of does like the <laughs> cut, cut it off, get rid of this guy yeah. thing. And and Kendall's like, wait, what? Why did she get to? Yeah. I thought she wasn't here. But Shiv should have just at that point been like, hey, what are you guys doing? You have to get rid of this guy. He got married in Hitler's bunker. <laughs> He's has multiple mind camp readings. Like get, this guy needs to go. But she didn't have the conviction to well, do that. Listen, You're right. She's kind of dancing around. Yeah. Listen, the dog's uh, the dog's name is spelled differently. So it's fine. So. <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah, it's a yeah. little different. It's fine. He's just taking an interest in that period in time. Um so you have that scene, the four-way negotiation, which Kendall, like the only time he has confidence anymore is when things are being negotiated because he's just a complete mess at, in any other sort of social interaction. Um, on top of it, you have Mo's funeral, um, which is just Willow saying she's sorry about Mo and the wife being like, who's Mo? <laughs> and he just pulls her away. He's got to explain. And they're able to navigate like this pretty grisly guy was obviously had some molestation history, which is a tough one, especially in 2021. And they're navigating it in a way you're just like, you're laughing. Um, but <laughs> at one point, Connor goes, why can't I be the one caught in a lockdown with a maniac? Like, really, like, <laughs> genuinely thinks, like, why did I draw the short straw here? Um, and then he gives the speech, which... What's that, top four Alan Ruck moments? I mean, yeah, it's right up there. Lester was a man. <laughs> And now he's dead. 
And it's very sad. Or what is his what is his fending off of the journalist? Connor Roy has been interested in politics from a very young age. <laughs> right. He says it over <laughs> yeah. and over again. That journalist, by the way, a pop culture icon, Jessica yes. Hecht. She's been in like a hundred things. Bad, uh, the single guy, Friends. I think, also. Friends. Yeah, friends. Um, kicking and screaming. She's the stewardess. You go through. She's yeah. been in a, a bunch of stuff. But then you so then the MVP of this episode, Tom. Tom Plus Greg. throwing 102 <laughs> miles an hour. There's a scene where he's got his feet on on some assistant who's he's made kneel over as a human footstand. Yeah. He has to navigate this Hitler crisis. Um, he as soon as there seems like there's a shooter, he's almost bowling over people to try to get to the safe room, ends up in the wrong safe room. All his insecurity comes out. Wait, there's another safe room. What safe room are you in? And. And it all leads to Greg basically trying to break up with them and Tom flipping out, which I, I sent you that clip yesterday. The, as, as the a, water bottles. Yeah, as a welcome to the ringer moment. You sent me the water bottle <laughs> clip from safe room. <laughs> I'll be parsing that for a long time. But yeah, yeah, the, the water bottle, the water bottle meltdown uh, is a is a top 10 succession moment for sure. Maybe even top five. Uh, they, yeah. they circled around Tom as a comedic figure. And then I think in season two, just leaned into it. Season one, it was like, this guy's funny, but I, I didn't know what to make of him. I, I wasn't sure, like, is this a real relationship? What's going on here? Is he competent? But then in season two, they're like, this guy is now our comedic foil, him and Greg. Yeah. And we're riding and this. And I think, again, that's a that's a point in Prague's favor, because I think Prague is really where Tom and Greg like lock in as a comedic duo. And I think that that mm. is that is a moment that people latch on to. But um. Like you, you swallowed your own load, right? I think that's from <laughs> right. that, that episode. It was hot. It was hot. <laughs> but um, but I think that uh, yeah, this this Tom and Greg meltdown. Maybe Turnhaven does lack from. It has no Greg. That's the thing that it's missing. Oh, is Greg not in Turnhaven? He's not. He doesn't get to go to the Pierce family uh, retreat. It's true. So I'll uh, I'll think about that as maybe a, a mark in your favor. But yeah, I, I love Tom, Tom says very well. I accept your blackmail, Greg. <laughs> like they're like <laughs> like making a fantasy football trade or something. But I mean, the thing about uh, Tom and Matthew McFadden's performance is he is comic relief, but then he's capable of these huge emotional moments. And I think in Turnhaven, when Shiv completely nosedives at dinner and the two of them then go back up to their room and he's like, what does this mean for me? And, you know, and she's, she, Shiv is never listening to Tom when he's talking to her. Never, ever. Never. She's having a conversation with herself at all times. Uh, unless he's engaging with what she's saying, but she's never, ever talking to him, never listening to his concerns. And she just says, I fucked it. And you just see this, like, He's so vulnerable and exposed in that moment. He's been he's been shit on the entire episode because they made in the punching bag at this dinner because he's the face of, you know, their Fox News. Right. So they they made him the punching yeah. bag. And so he had to put up with all of that. And now his one safety blanket, Shiv, uh, is is proving threadbare. So, like, you know, he's just and and I think he plays all of that just as well as he plays the comedy. I think he's a really underrated I mean, it's hard because there's so many heavy hitters in succession. But like, I think Matthew McFadden is is incredible. Really good. He jumps out the most in the rewatches. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's it's a way more complicated performance by him and a more complicated character than I think you realized the first time around. And he's a way better. I mean, that scene when it he uh, when he's jogging and Greg 
is like, hey, it's in an earlier episode. Greg's like, hey, I think she's having, it's at the wedding weekend. Yeah. I think she's having an affair with uh, with Nate. And he's like, stop it, stop it. And then Greg's, and, and all of a sudden he's jumping on him. He seems like he's punched him and runs off. And you realize like, even though the, there's a climbing aspect to him marrying into the Roy family, he really does genuinely love Shiv, it seems like, That's right? the thing is that he holds so many things. Like he's he's a very sensitive, he's oversensitive and he's a callous asshole. I mean, like he, he enjoys punching down where he can. But then I also think he genuinely loves Greg. Like I think this breakup scene with the water bottle is because he's like genuinely hurt because as much right. as he punches down on Greg, like he he loves having him as an ally. Um, I read this. I, I really wish I could cite where it was, but I read this really interesting um, detail, which is the costume designer says uh, said that they match Tom and Greg. Uh, their costumes are matched because they're sort of the spiritual couple of the show versus Tom and Shiv. Tom doesn't match Shiv. He matches Greg. And I was like, I love that. I love that detail. Uh, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons it's such a great show is you could spin off different characters into their own spinoff shows. And I'd at least watch the pilot, right? If Tom and Greg, HBO was like, hey, Tom and Greg have their own show now. But cool. (laughs) Where is it? Uh, I could watch a show with Stewie trying to buy different companies. Stewie, I love Stewie. He's a real favorite of mine. And like every time he comes back, when you think he's gone and he comes back, like that's, I'm just always happy to see him. He comes back a little angrier each time. Yeah. Connor, Connor and Willa's pres- his presidential campaign, I definitely would have watched seven seasons Absolutely. of easily. Absolutely. But yeah, you go on down the line. And uh, yeah, so my case for a safe room would just be, I think it has the best scene, as I said. And I think, all of the main characters that we care about are all at the top of their games in this episode for different reasons, doing really tough stuff and they pull it all off in like 58 minutes. But you, you, you're kind of winning me over on the, the show's at its best when everybody's in the same room theory. They, it's something we've seen. I, I think we've seen the Roy kids do it a couple times uh, where you watch them and you know that if they all just work together, they would be fine, but they just can't because there is this single prize that their dad is holding over their heads that they all want, except for Connor doesn't seem to quite want it. Um, something, yeah. something. What do, What do we think's wrong with Connor? I don't. Well, he's a different mom. I don't know. Uh, and 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 there's some dark. He's just off. He's like a, just a step off at all times, well, and they all kind of know it and accept isn't it. Isn't there something a mention in the Dundee episode of his mom going to like a mental institution or something like that? Like, there's mm. something. There's something that we don't know. There's also I, I was I was saying this to you over text that there's something there's something about Shiv we don't know, which is she keeps saying I was a complete mess when I met Tom, and I want to know what that is. And I, I feel confident in the show that they're just laying track. I mean, even the uncle Mo slash Lester joke, that's a holdover from season one. Like they were called like Mo is a character in season one. And the fact that they held on to that Mo Lester joke until midway in season two. Um, mm. I think they just have a lot of track that they're laying and a lot of hints that they're dropping that hopefully will, will pay off. But Connor, um, another thing that jumped out to me in the rewatch is early on, if ever there's a chance to align with someone, Connor always aligns himself with Shiv. And I don't know why, but that's just something where he's like, I don't have an opinion. And then at the end of the conversation, he'll say whatever Shiv says, you know, and I, I, I don't know what that's about, but I'm interested uh, to know. Well, you mentioned the siblings. One of the things this show does so smartly and so well is 
they'll have, they sprinkle little moments in, they'll have scenes where they're interacting like they're actually siblings, right? There's that early, I think in the first season, um, where Roman gets mad at Shiv and they just start punching each other. And it's like, like, that's what my son and my daughter, I, hopefully they wouldn't do that when they were adults, <laughs> but it's when you're like, so, uh, brother, sister, and you're close in age, like you just get mad at each other like that. And it was like, to me, that was realistic, even though it was ridiculous that they were adults, that they would like punch each other in the shoulder. Or you have the scene where they go when they're at the wedding, when they go in the dock and they all go to smoke pot. And you could just see like, there's real history with all the characters that date back to them being kids, having an absolute nightmare mother, who's just the meanest person who's ever lived. And then this dad who is just a horrible father and they, all they had was each other and these fucked up friendships that they had that it seems like they're still sorting through. But I always appreciate that about the yeah, show. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. There's also a scene on the the yacht towards the end of season two, the finale, I think, where they're just all sitting around and they do just feel like yeah, siblings. Busting yeah, balls. They yeah. just feel like siblings. Um, and again, I'm just rooting for them to join forces like Voltron and like they could definitely take down their father if they could only work together, but they never will. feels like they never will be able to do that because of this uh, other thing. And like, to go back to what you're saying about Tom and Shiv to a certain extent, I have this theory that when they wrote the pilot, I think they've confirmed this a little bit in some interviews, but that they, when they wrote the pilot, they had some different character archetypes in mind for these people. If you watch Kendall in the pilot, I think he's almost unrecognizable to the mm. Kendall that we see. You know what I mean? Like we meet him, uh, you know, he's listening to like hip hop to hype himself up, all this sort of stuff. And um, he just seems like a thinner uh, asshole character. And I think once the writers knew the caliber of performers they had in all of this, these characters started to move. Shiv is like, Shiv is very, you know, she's wearing this like frumpy woven sweater. She's very different in the pilot than she is in, in later episodes. And so I think they sort of bent the characters to match the performers, especially Jeremy Strong. I can see that in a big way. I think Tom is similar where you don't know what to make of him in the beginning, because I think he's originally written as just this sort of like unctuous toady sort of character. And then I think they just deepened him to become a kind of character that we haven't seen. And I think that's what's beautiful about Succession is like, because all of these characters are pursuing all these warring uh, instincts inside of them, none of them fit neatly into a single box. You don't know when they're going to be kind, when Shiv is going to give her brother a hug and when she's absolutely going to cut his throat. You don't know in any given scene uh, what they're going to do. I don't know. That's that's. That's sort of in my, uh, that's why you're always on the edge of your seat watching because you don't know what they're going to do at any time. You made a really crucial point. People don't, they can make the show, they can cast it and they could, they'll maybe write the first four episodes or the first six, or they'll write the first three and sketch out the whole season, something like that. But they don't really know what they have. You know, and I think like Billions is a good example. Like I'm a big Billions fan. They, the, the wife, Axe's wife, who I think was supposed to be a bigger part in the show, and the character didn't work for whatever reason. Was it the actress's fault? Was the character's fault? And as the show evolved, they kind of reduced her, reduced her, and then she was gone. I look at, if you watch the succession pilot again, you're totally right about Jeremy Strong. Roman's not 
close to Roman yet. He's a little more on the Fredo side. He's a little more black sheepy. He's got like some one liners, but it's not like what he became. And I just think Culkin was probably a way better, funnier actor than they realized. And I also think he ad libbed some of that shit. I think at some point, what, by episode four or five of first season, he's off. They're just like, go, you're, you're basically like, come up with some jokes for this scene. And he goes, and then his character takes off. There's no way they knew Jerry was going to be this important. Like that has to be a, we love this actress. We let's figure out ways to shoehorn her. And that that role was supposed to be a, that was written for a man. Jerry was supposed to be a man. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And then they put Jason Cameron in there. So yeah, they, and she cried from the first episode. It's like, Oh, I like that actress. She's really good. And then, and then it's like, oh, I wish she was in more scenes and they keep going. So, yeah, I think there's some they knew what they had in Shiv. Like she Sarah Snook had done some real stuff. They knew she was a good actress. They knew what that character is. I don't think that character has changed that much. But you can make a case. I forget who said this to me, that this is the best. Maybe it was fantasy. Nobody's ever nailed the casting of a show better than this. When you talk about the top eight characters they just didn't miss with any of them in any way. Yeah, and I, I don't think there's any character, as you say, like a smart showrunner, smart writer's room has to be pliable. And like once you can see what an actor can do, uh, meet them where they are or quietly shunt them <laughs> off to the side right. as as in the case of like Malin Ackerman or something like that, you know, like, uh, you know, just expand and contract where you can to fit the talent that you have. But I think what's true is that if anyone were to rank um, the succession performances of six succession characters. Oh, it's happening next week. You could probably make the case of any, almost any order. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, no, you pick the weakest link for number one. I mean, I think Jeremy Strong has to be up there towards the top, but other than that, you could convince me of any, any number of combinations. And I, I would agree. Did, did he win the, who won the Emmy from succession last year? Was it strong? Yeah, it strong. Yeah. I think there's just I think it's yeah. honestly I think it's one of the great performances. I don't know if it's my favorite character, but I think if you're talking about let's just take we'll just take HBO only. We'll remove all the other networks and we'll just say best HBO dramatic performances. Gandolfini wins. I was going to say you're going to have the Sopranos yeah, it's fans just like, come if, for you. From a scale of 1 to <laughs> Gandolfini. <laughs> Strong's Strong's close. He's definitely on that next tier that has to be mentioned. I in the wrong hands, the show falls apart. And he's a very he's a very um, internal actor. Like a lot of his performance is just sort of like deep under the surface. If you have ever uh, interviewed or listened to an interview with Jeremy Strong, he's fast. He's very very fascinating kind of performer. Um, I talked. I've been afraid to have him on a podcast. He's super quirky, he, right? He's he's really smart, but he's very serious, and he'll quote long passages from like Rilke at you or something like that. And so on, like a podcast yeah. flow, it's 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 it can be a little tough. But um, but he, I talked to him actually on a podcast last year or two years ago, whenever, and um, he was talking about being on. He was he's in Lincoln. And he was talking about how much he learned, he absorbed from Daniel Day-Lewis on uh, mm. working near him in Lincoln. So I think he's modeled himself on the Daniel Day-Lewis side of things, which is just complete character immersion. Um, I mean, I... Well, yeah. the reason you know, the reason you know he's a great actor is like the scenes when he falls off the rails and they're in New Mexico and he's like, he becomes Meth Kendall for that one episode. Yeah. It's a completely different character. And he's got, and even like in... 
the last episode before he crashes the car when he sees Greg and Greg's kind of like trying to blackmail him and he's like, Greg, I see you, Greg. I like yeah. it. Like he, he has these false bravado things that I think it's just really hard to pull the switch where you can be the completely depressed guy in safe room, false bravado guy, meth guy. I'm going to take over my dad guy. There's like six different layers to this. dude. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. So you're saying it goes Gandolfini and then strong. Is that, is that your no, assertion? No, no, no. <laughs> Gandolfini's untouchable. But I think if you're going that next level, it's got to be up there with any other HBO performance. I wouldn't disagree. I can remember in a drama. Like, I think it's that good, honestly. I don't, I don't know if he's my favorite character. You'll find out next week on TV Concierge. But um, I will say Tom has gained a lot of steam in the rewatch. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to disagree. But the problem with Tom, like if you're, I don't mean to like bite into your next. No, no, I want your input. I'm not done yet. (laughs) But it's hard to rank Tom without Greg. I think it's Tom plus Greg. You know what I mean? It's like the entity that is Tom Greg. You know, I wouldn't. (laughs) Tom. (laughs) The hybrid. I wouldn't be upset. It's like, what was it? Tomcat? Yeah. Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes. Like the Tomcat. Way more successful. Can't you see right, so, Tom jumping on Oprah's couch uh, with excitement about something? I could see it happening. No question. <laughs> I mean, he basically does that on the yeah. show. All right. So on TV concierge during this season, season three, you're going to be doing um, a deep dive midweek podcast with Sean Fantasy, who is a really, honestly, a selfish co-host, but you're going to have to deal with that. He's very <laughs> selfish. He said he will not sell any of your material and he'll try to walk all over you. So just be ready for that guy. Huge, huge ego. So what you're saying huge is... Huge ego in that Sean fantasy. What you're saying is I'm going to be the like human footstool and Sean's just <laughs> yeah. going to stretch out and rest <laughs> Just watch him. out. Yeah. Watch out. That guy will shit. He's like Shiv. You can't trust uh. him. Um, no, I'm really looking forward to that. We're, we're going to be blowing out succession. We're going to have uh, not only that on Wednesdays, but then on Fridays, a pre-cap show with Chris Ryan and Big Waz. We're looking forward ahead. So nice. treating this like the NBA playoffs. It's a big show. Uh, I love having you at the ringer. I'm really glad it finally happened. I love being and it's, here. Uh, it's been great to hear you with Mallory and excited to have you on the pods and all that stuff. So welcome aboard. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Thanks for this uh, splashing introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. This uh, podcast was produced by Kyle Creighton. Stay tuned for Friday. Ted Lasso season finale. Van and Chris got screeners. So are you pro Ted Lasso or against I'm it? I'm pro. Okay. This season's been... A little too much backlash, right? People just have too much spare time. Uh, this season's been a little messy, but I think that has to do with Apple at sort of late in the game asked them to add two episodes. So they shoved these right. sort of two standalones. And I think that messed with the flow a bit. And then, yeah, I mean, you know, Ted Lasso sort of flew too high. And so people gotta gotta come for the king right like that's that's just what some people do so yeah, yeah it it was just too liked that can't, that just can't yeah. happen in pop culture we can't have that all I'm, i'll be interested in how succession navigates that because i think this month is going to be a lot of everyone loves succession and there's going to be a lot of pressure on that first episode whoever didn't watch it in the moment 100 percent caught up during the pandemic yeah. except my mom what who's like I don't like those people. I don't, I watched the first one and I just didn't like any of them. And I'm not, and I'm like, mom, you would love this show more than anybody. She's like, no, no, I'm out. Just being stubborn about it. Meanwhile, she'll watch like some French subtitle thing on Amazon for 20 episodes. I don't get her. Um, well, you could tell her that some of the succession episodes have subtitles. There's some, 
awesome. That's what yeah. I should tell yeah. her. I should tell her it's a French, it's a French show that they subtitled and dubbed <laughs> into English. And that's how it happened. All right, Joanna, thanks for doing this with me. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Joanna and thanks to Shriggs. This podcast was produced by Kyle Creighton. we back here on Sunday with Cousin Sal and special guest Joe House, who is in town. Also on Sunday night, the Heels season finale will be on uh, Stars. And David Shoemaker and I got a screener. We already recorded. We're about to record uh, our thoughts for the season finale. And it will run right after that episode on the Prestige TV podcast. So there you go. Enjoy the weekend. Go Red Sox. See you on Sunday This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.